question and uh, we'll quickly get on with continuing where we left off um, before lunch because we've got quite a lot to get through still this afternoon. Um, the next point on the agenda where we got to before lunch was about does the updated um, essay test the plan against all reasonable alternatives and we've touched on that a bit already as I say there is a natural overlaying um, of, of different issues. Um, again, we've got a lot of people around the table, lots of people want to make similar points on this. If somebody's made the same point already, even if you sort of say, I agree with Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, um, rather than keep repeating the same points, otherwise we might be here very late tonight. I'm not sure, do we need to be out of the building by a certain time? Or? We'll say five o'clock, shall we? <laughs> okay. So in, I think it's probably easiest if we take questions on this point, just take questions or points from um, around the room and then come back to the council maybe in chunks or, or we'll see how it goes really because if you leave too many then it gets a bit complicated. So um, I'll just see. Miss Hutton's got first bidding on the... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ma'am. Quick off the mark. Um, on the starting point this question is the ACOM November of 2018 review of the submission essay, uh, document 104.22, and in its conclusions, uh, it's, it was very clear that there were fundamental failings of the essay up to that point. So paragraph 5.3 says the essay does not clearly identify, describe and evaluate the likely significant effects of reasonable alternatives, nor does it clearly set, them, set out the reasons for choosing the preferred spatial strategy in light of them. Paragraph 5.4 uh, states that the essay report identifies and appraises alternatives which are not reasonable as they cannot meet the objectives of the local plan in line with the SEA regula regulations. So it's not a question of simply a procedural failure, like a failure to give reasons um, for an alternative, but this is, was a fundamentally flawed approach. So the question uh, for you is, has the updated essay produced only a month after ACOM's review remedied the situation. It has not. Um, the first point uh, is that it's failed to inform any decision-making in relation to this plan. I'm going to come on to that after the next question. And the second point is with regards to reasonable alternatives. Um, the requirement in the directive is clear. Uh, it's to select and assess reasonable alternatives. And the case law is clear. Uh, that reasonable alternatives are a matter of the decision, letter, uh, decision maker subject to challenge on rationality grounds. Uh, we agree with the Council on that. But also that they have to be assessed in the same manner as the proposed plan. The directive doesn't distinguish uh, between the assessment to be given to the proposed plan uh, and the assessment of the reasonable alternatives. And there are, uh, in our submission, four separate ways in which the selection of alternatives uh, was and, and assessment of alternatives was uh, unlawful. Uh, the first uh, error was the failure to consider the provision of just one or two garden communities. Now, this is uh, specifically recognised in the SA at paragraph 8.165. Sorry, 8.165, page 104 as potentially a reasonable alternative, and it is worth turning up that paragraph, uh, which states 
it could be argued that additional options should be explored that include the delivery of just one or perhaps two of the three uh, garden community options, particularly given historic England's objection to the North Uttleford uh, garden community in response to the Regulation 19 pre-submission local plan. Now, stop there. I uh, stated earlier that the local authority uh, must give significant weight to the views of its statutory consultees unless cogent reasons are given. Now here, not only has there been a failure to give significant weight, there's been a failure to even look at alternatives uh, to the particular garden community that Historic England were objecting to. Um, and, and we say that that represents a failure to give significant weight to the advice of Historic uh, England. Further, if one looks in that paragraph at the reasons for not exploring the option of one or two garden communities, those are not um, sound reasons. Uh, first, it said that a comparative assessment of the garden communities has been carried out, but that assessment doesn't consider the uh, deletion of one or two of the communities. And we remember that were North Uttlesford to be deleted, fewer than 2,000 homes are projected to come forward within the plan period. So that's what one would be looking for as an alternative, the 2,000 homes, not the 5,000 homes. That's never been looked at. Uh, second, the reasons given in para 8.165 uh, state that other alternatives consider focusing less or more growth at the garden communities. Again, that is not consideration of the deletion or one or two. And so we say the reasons for not considering that alternative, which is a reasonable alternative, uh, are untenable. Finally, on this point, the duty to cooperate statement of the Council uh, at document 203.1 in response to criticisms from South Cambridgeshire to the plan suggests that one potential option is effectively to delete North Uttlesford Garden Community and safeguard it uh, for future development due to transport issues. It's paragraph 3.34 of that document. Now, it's nonsensical to say that there's an option of deleting uh, the uh, proposal and safeguarding it, but not to consider the environmental impacts of no development at uh, that site. The second error uh, relates um, to the point that, well, even if it were lawful to take the view that three garden communities were necessary, then it was not lawful uh, to consider not to consider any other locations or garden communities of under 5,000 houses. So the first point, any other locations. And for this point, we need to go to the circumstances in which the garden communities came about. So we had the area of search in 2015. I find that on figure one, page 17 of the SA. So it's very limited areas of search and never revisited. Um, in particular, uh, you can note from paragraph 5.6 of the SA that areas were excluded if they contained significant constraints. Paragraph 5.6. Uh, particular areas were excluded if they contained uh, significant constraints, such as a registered park and garden. Now, we know uh, that NUGC will involve significant harm to a scheduled ancient monument and other heritage assets and has attracted Historic England's objection. Now, it also ought to have been excluded on that basis, given the MPPF does not distinguish uh, between uh, scheduled ancient monuments and res 
registered parks and gardens, they are both to be treated as designated heritage assets under the MPPF. There was then a call for sites in 2015 within the areas of search. This is the key point. No, there was no council-led capacity studies, for example, on heritage, landscape, uh, transport, to establish where was best from a land use planning perspective. Rather, it was entirely dependent on public, uh, private sector submissions. Uh, seven came forward and only three would ultimately meet the threshold, which I'll come on to uh, in a moment. The only reason that it was decided that three were necessary were due to delivery rates. And we find that at paragraph 6.94 of the sustainability appraisal. Now that is a, a nonsensical conclusion where the impact of delivering one or two garden communities plus development elsewhere has not been uh, assessed. So the garden community locations were decided not by land use planning considerations, but effectively by there being only three submissions back in 2015 of 5,000 houses or more. And the council by then had decided, or later decided there had to be three, and therefore all would qualify, all those three would qualify, whatever uh, the impacts. It was irrational for the council not to step back at any stage and ask whether there were more suitable locations for garden communities led by land use planning considerations rather than private interests coming forward as part of one call for sites exercise back in 2015. If one looks at table 6.11 on page 47 of the SA, one sees that the other reasons for selection and rejection of the garden communities are, in fact, untenable. So, for example, North Uttlesford, um, it stated that the benefit, there's a major benefit of being prox proximate to the Great Chesterford Rail Station. Now, that station is now recognised, well, not really relied upon by the council um, in relation to NUGC, uh, and it's also recognised that there are capacity issues which aren't being dealt with uh, through this local plan. There's no mention under North Uttersford of significant heritage harm, no mention uh, of landscape harm. It simply wasn't a fair uh, assessment of the uh, garden communities as against one another. But now turn to the 5,000 house limit. Uh, the threshold of 5,000 houses has come from uh, apparently an Essex County Council consultation response to the Issues and Options document on the basis that that was the minimum number of houses to provide a secondary school. And that, the reference for that is paragraph 5.13 of the SA. It's ultimately proven the sole reason for the choice of these three garden communities. Now, note at no point does it appear that Essex County Council's response was qualified by this being the minimum number of houses for any particular type of school. It was said that was the minimum for a secondary school. Now, it's now clear from the SA on its face, at paragraph 8.19, that in fact 3,000 houses will support a four-form entry secondary school. The SA then goes on 
to seek to rely upon the reasoning in the North Essex authorities um, case, local plan examination, for why 3,000 would be inadequate. But that is not and has never been the reasoning of this authority um, for why 5,000 houses is necessary. So there's no case that's actually been made by this authority uh, as to why 3,000 would be inappropriate now that we know that 5,000 is incorrect in relation to the provision of a secondary school. So the, and then the failure to then look, if, if it were lawful to set the, uh, set the minimum figure uh, in, re, in relation to the provision of a secondary school, then it was unlawful to look elsewhere for sites of 3,000 houses, because, of course, that is... Uh, in fact, the relevant constraint. Um, that 5,000 houses is an irrational bright line is clear from uh, also from the local planning authority's suggestion in its duty to cooperate statement, document 203.1, paragraph 3.34, um, where in response to criticisms from South Cambridgeshire, it then suggests that it should consider limiting SP7, so UDC, to development of 3,300 houses. So it, it, it has already, in responses in relation to this examination, suggested that one option may be to limit the development at North Uttlesford to uh, around 3,000 houses. Finally, what the bright line of 5,000 houses has effectively done is it has elevated the provision of a secondary school of a certain size above other impacts, for example, heritage. Um, now, that is irrational given the policy and legislative protection for heritage assets. And, of course, no one's saying that development elsewhere will be incapable of educating secondary school pupils because, of course, we have something called SIL. And it doesn't appear that that has actually been explored anywhere in this essay uh, either. Coming on to the third error, there's only one option um, in this essay which does not uh, involve the development of 5,000 houses at North Uttlesford, and that is the option three, which involves no garden communities. That, however, we know was not a practical uh, alternative. It's not in itself a reasonable alternative, and that's because this local authority has an agreement with the North Essex authorities to include west of Braintree as a cross-boundary settlement, uh, which we know the North Essex authorities continue to pursue, or at least there's no information that they aren't pursuing west of Braintree. There's been no suggestion from the council of any appetite or ability uh, to walk away from their agreement with North Essex authorities. So therefore, any practicable option when looking at reasonable alternatives, had to include the West of Braintree settlement. So the deletion of all garden communities uh, was not a reasonable alternative, and therefore there's effectively been no assessment of any reasonable alternative which did not include North Adelsford. And then finally, I'm coming back to the point I was making uh, this morning with regards to the disparity in development numbers between options 1, 2A, 2B and 3. Now, um, we know that any option without the garden communities will ultimately result in 20,000 
uh, fewer ha houses than options with them, albeit those homes will come forward outside of the planned period. Uh, the SA, uh, well, it's, it's unclear what's happened, and if I could just uh, take you to a few references. The first is page 430, which is in Appendix 5 to the SA. Now here the alternatives are set out and it appears to be pretty clear on the face of this table that the alternatives have pretty well commensurate um, total number of dwellings and that's from the penultimate line of that table, total dwellings during the planned period. And that, ha that appears to be uh, what has been assessed, i.e. only development up to 2033. And in fact, if one looks at the responses to objective 12 on page 445 one sees from the equal scoring in relation to the provision of appropriate housing and accommodation to meet existing and future needs it appears that is the case this has only gone up to uh, 2033 uh, however I say it's not clear because in numerous cases in underneath each of the objections, this SA has counted as a positive the size of the garden uh, communities. And if I just take you to a few of those, so page 438. This is objective seven, to reduce and control pollution. And we see the, the final paragraph, option three does not take advantage of the opportunities provided by the delivery of large-scale growth at the GCs, uh, and then says it's the worst performing. Uh, the same comment, practically the same comment, made in relation to promoting and encouraging use of sustainable methods of travel, page 441. Again, final paragraph. It's held against option three that it's not... Um, including delivery of sufficient sized garden communities uh, and therefore it's uh, scored, uh, scored uh, more poorly. Uh, same applies to the accessibility to services, page 443. Again, the final paragraph. Maybe I'll just give these for your notes one so you can look at them at your leisure. Same is relation to social infrastructure, page 444. Final paragraph. Efficient use of resources, page 446. Uh, again, final paragraph. And education and skills, page 447. Final paragraph. So, in fact, what the essay has done is weighs the, as a positive the size of the garden communities, which must be their full size because they're relying on the full suite of infrastructure uh, that comes with them. But what it hasn't done is weighed in the balance any of the negatives which necessarily come with an additional 20,000 houses, so over double the development you need to be planning for. Um, so that goes, in fact, to all of the local plan objectives, um, particularly obvious, perhaps, in relation to landscape, objective three, where effectively, that's page um, 416, Effectively, all of the options are given the same score. 
but of course the idea that 14,000 houses will have the same landscape impact as 34,000 houses uh, is illogical, uh, nonsensical and irrational. So there's been, and again, as I say, that's a point that goes to all, every single one of the objectives. Nowhere have the negatives of those additional 20,000 houses been assessed. So on any basis, there has been no assessment uh, of reasonable alternatives on a fair and equitable basis. And, and that, Mum, um, is unlawful. Thank you. Thank you. I'll ask the council to come back. There's quite a lot there, and I think we'll probably need to deal with that separate to um, other points that are going to be made. I don't know who, who wants to um, deal with that, Mr. Marl or Mr. Peter? Madam, while that's being decided, can I just... Sorry, Madam, the back, cause, cause I'm just trying to know where the voice is coming from. Voice is off. <laughs> um, I had very similar points to make, and I can be very, very brief because Ms. Hutton's done all my work. Right, okay. But yeah, shall, I, shall I make the very brief? If, if you're to... going to the council to meet those points, it might That's be sensible. That's fine. It's sort of an addendum to it, if yes, you like. Yes, well, it is not even that, I think. But um, if I may do that while the council um, do that. Um, so, yes, my, my partial points were we do uh, agree with Ms. Hutton. Um, the updated SA has plainly, in our view, not remedied the earlier uh, failures that were evident, far from it, in fact. Um, particularly, I mean, our headline point from our statement is that there's been a failure to consider the alternative strategy uh, based on two garden communities with an emphasis on smaller sites. That's Ms. Hutton's legal error one, and we fully support and commend um, the reasons she eloquently put for those. It is a, from a legal point of view in my submission, context is all important. Um, and in, in, in this context, we submit it was a reasonable alternative that should have been considered, and to fail to take that into account falls into error in the way your, your question seeks to, uh, to understand. Um, it, it was, to say the very least, perplexing that the appraisal did not assess such an option, um, particularly in the context of the evidence before you, and particularly given the, the wealth of evidence you've got, uh, with concerns about over, of infrastructure delivery, and particularly the delivery of the west of Braintree Garden community. Uh, as we've pointed out in our statement, it is perhaps of some interest to note to you that the North Essex inspector, in his consideration of the essay before that examination, we've given you the references, had similar concerns about the lack of clarity as to why uh, matters were not considered. And those, as it were, by analogy or application here, Plan makers uh, in law are not given blanket protection behind the veil of reasonable judgments when they decide uh, what is a reasonable alternative to consider. The context has to be uh, looked at, uh, and again, briefly for the reasons Ms. Hutton says, the context here is, is plain, that it is manifestly irrational. I put it that highly, manifestly irrational for the Council not to have considered uh, that alternative that we've outlined and which is outlined in uh, error one in Ms Hutton's submissions. Can I also um, very briefly support and, and thank Ms Hutton for doing all my work again so far as error two is concerned, uh, particularly about the 5,000 uh, house or limit point, which we've uh, flagged up in our statement, which you will have seen at 1.22 and 1.23 of our statement. We make, we make exactly the same point, and with respect, it is a good point to make. Um, there is no, uh, as Ms. Sutton said, there is no council-led capacity studies, and again, it was manifestly irrational to proceed in the way, the way, the way they did. So, in, in short, um, happily, the legal context before you required consideration 
we say, of the reasonable alternative that we've put forward in our evidence. Thank you. Is there anybody else who wants to make a similar point and add to it before I go back to the Council? Or, or at least rely on what's been said? Is it something you just want to add, Mr Cronk? Yes. Um, the Parish Council strongly supports the points made by both um, recent speakers, but just to add a few minor points, um, in relation to the failure to consider one or two Garn communities, we think it's particularly important to take note of the North Essex um, inspectors' concerns regarding the deliverability of free garden communities, that being across three separate districts in North Essex, whereas here Uttlesford are seeking to deliver the same amount free gun communities within a, a much uh, within a single district with a much much lower population so we think that's a significant failure and um, particularly in the context of other gun communities that are coming forward we know about North Essex, Chelmsford, Harlow, East Hearts, Cambridgeshire all nearby and all potentially coming forward. The, 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 the possibility of failure doesn't seem to be adequately considered uh, regarding the, you know, the extent of the, the, these garden community proposals. In relation to West of Braintree, um, only 970 dwellings were expected to be delivered, assuming that Western Branch ever does get allocated in a North Essex plan. So again, in terms of reasonable alternatives, that isn't a particularly high number. We certainly echoed the points about the 5,000 dwelling minimum. We, we don't consider that to be a sensible or logical um, approach in terms of looking at reasonable alternatives just purely on the basis of a, a comprehensive school provision. Uh, in terms of registered and parks and gardens, again, west of Braintree uh, would be adversely affected. Again, we consider this to be an instance when heritage impacts uh, aren't looked at in the same way for garden communities as they are for um, other sites that have been proposed. And finally, <coughs> we, we, we highlighted the fact that Going back to Regulation 18, uh, the 12 option scenarios for delivering garden communities all included West of Braintree and all for the same amount of development. We do, do not think that there's been a proper and, uh, and reasonable assessment of alternatives. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll ask the Council to comment now before I bring on DLC because I think we're kind of getting off a little bit. Um... Thank you. I'll start and uh, others will jump in, I'm sure. Um, so to turn to the first of the points, first of Ms. Hutton's points, um, the failure to consider one or two garden communities. As she notes, the um, logic behind that decision is set out in paragraph 8.165 of the sustainability appraisal. I'd also like to direct you to uh, document ED4. Um, UDC's initial response to other stakeholders, point four on the uh, third from final page, where we again set out the reasoning in paragraph 8.165. Um, 
and add some, some further text there. Uh, which de- that additional text there is talking about the, the fact that additional spatial strategy options will be unlikely to result in the identification of new or significantly different effects already identified in the sustainability appraisal. Um, the idea there is that um, the sustainability appraisal in looking at uh, option three without any of the garden communities, uh, development in the garden communities, it considers a number of different uh, sites across the district and so the, it does appraise the impact of those sites sustainability appraise the impact of those sites um, Mr Pete you can pick up on that point yeah. now please actually yeah just, uh, just to say so there's a lot of focus on the garden communities obviously but um, it, it tried to more clearly set out what the options were based on that threshold and maybe Stephen can talk about the threshold a bit more in a minute but um, we in, in chapter in chapter eight, the beginning, and some of the paragraphs were referred to before. There's a section, uh, so on page 65 in the essay report, that's where the discussion about garden communities options uh, begins. Um, notwithstanding the, the chapters five, six, and seven that set out the previous work that had been done, um, but it said there were several options that met that 5,000 dwelling threshold. But there were other areas as well that have been promoted for large-scale growth in the district around Elsinham, Birchanger, Takeley, Chelmer Mead, and that these needed to be considered through district-wide spatial strategies. And then within Chapter 8, um, we then look at the settlements individually and look at opportunities for additional growth there. Um, so I think it's not, it's not the case that we've ignored you know, potential for growth at existing settlements or other alternatives that have been explored exploring there as part of the district-wide spatial strategy options. Um. Thank you, Mr. Beatty. Um, one of the points made was that option three was not a reasonable alternative because it excluded Western Braintree and that the council had, uh, quote, sign, signed up to an agreement with uh, Braintree District Council to pursue Western Braintree. Um, that's... Uh, not quite the case. Um, Braintree District Council has and continues to say that um, Western Braintree is deliverable without the element of the site within Uttlesford. Um, it's a substantial development over on the other side, approaching nine or 10,000 homes, um, and they say that it is, it is deliverable without, quote, our bit. Um, so I, I don't accept that option three is not a reasonable alternative. It, for that reason. Um, another point raised was that um, in the duty to cooperate statement, it's suggested that in response to South Cams, there is an option to delete North Uttlesford and safeguard the, the site for future development. That, that's, I, I don't have the document in front of me, so I, I can't check that at the moment, but that's not, uh, that's not the case either. What it, I think South Cambridgeshire District Council have suggested that to us as one option. The council has not accepted that as, as an option, though. Um, it, was, it was something put forward by South Cambridgeshire. Do we need to? Do you want to turn that document up? Is it? Would it be helpful to have a look at that? And we can. Uh, which you got it there?
Yes, so paragraph 3.34, I think, is the, yeah. the paragraph referred to. Um, the final sentence in that paragraph, before we move on to the bullets, says, for the Regulation 19 stage, South Cambridgeshire District Council repeated its previous concerns while adding the following. So these, these are clearly references to South Cambridgeshire's concerns. And then if you come down to the fourth bullet point from the bottom, uh, it suggests limiting the site to 3,300 dwellings or safeguarding the site for future development. So that, that is South Cambridge's um, point made in their representations to the Regulation 19 plan. It's not something that the Council has uh, accepted. Thank you. Ma'am, so it might be just useful to refer to page 20, the second bullet point there, possible options to consider. I'd understood that to be coming from this council, but if I'm wrong, I stand cor corrected. I'd understood that to be the response. not well if it, it's part of the previous paragraph 3.34 because it doesn't have its own paragraph number so I read that as as being an option to con an option for us to consider which South Cambridgeshire have have proposed they've to said us. to you that that's yeah. an option you need to consider yeah right okay it might be worth it might be in the break if you can pull up the original representation so we can just double check that just so that we're all clear um, on that because we're dealing with duty to cooperate as well this afternoon now we so there's again some overlap but uh Turning to the threshold matter, the 5,000 homes, yep. um, so that is from uh, Essex County Council representation. It's also, um, they have an um, infrastructure document, which I'd have to check one of our other matter statements, which we refer to, I think, matter seven, the question about the threshold. Um, excuse me. Um, we, uh, we refer to a particular document which the County Council have produced, which suggests that um, uh, I'll have to check that, that document myself. Okay. Do you want a moment to get the hold of that now? Or? Yes. Do you, do you have it fairly easy to hand, or is it sort of in a... Uh, my Matter 7 stuff's upstairs. Oh, right, so it's, for math, oh, right, so it's the stuff for um, the week after next. Um, Okay. Want, which document is it you want, sorry? The, uh... the, the council's matter statement. Oh, right, I've got that here. For matter seven. Uh, oh, I have, um... 
I think we're just finding it. Somewhere I've got it. it might be there. Yes, so... Um, You've managed to find it. I, I, All right. I, uh, Mr Bedford's had uh, his handier <laughs> than mine. Um, so the Council's uh, response to, to question three in matter seven, uh, the question there being, is the sustainability appraisal of the garden community options robust, particularly with regard to the threshold of 5,000 dwellings? Um, we referenced not just the Essex County Council representation, but also their document, Local and Neighbourhood planner's guide to school organisation, which indicates that the county will only consider a sixth form entry school, which requires approximately 4,500 new homes. This document um, replaced the, the previous version, which uh, Ms Hudden referred to, with the, the 3,000 dwelling uh, limit if the proposal contained no flats, and a 4,000 4,000 home scheme if the proposal did contain some flats. Um, but their, their latest guidance says that 4,500 is, is the appropriate level. Now, 5,000 is, is slightly higher than that, but it's still um, uh, the council contends an appropriate uh, level, not just because of the school, but also the, um, the benefits that you get from uh, a, having a substantial development with... Um, better able to support a range of employment, retail and community facilities, but also um, the benefits of a six-form entry school as opposed to the four-form entry school, which um, it's often referred to being that you can have a broader range of uh, subject areas um, and attract better teachers uh, to, to come in and, and teach school. It, it's a, it's a, a better offer to the pupils of the school. So do you look at other thresholds in terms of, you know, and there is information out there, isn't there, about what, what, what community supports a pub or a, a range of shops or all those sorts of things. Was that looked at as well in terms of those thresholds? Uh, well, yes, in the, the, well, the school is, is a, gives a, a particular numerical figure mm. which is in, in this latest guidance is 4,500 homes. Um, it, the, the wider benefits of uh, the employment, retail, community facilities have been uh, considered. Okay. And things like doctor surgeries, they're often a factor, aren't they? You know, you need a certain population for a, a GP's practice or something. Was that considered as well, those sorts of things? Or was it, was it the school that was the driver rather than...? It was the school that was the driver, and then the, the wider considerations were, uh, uh, were also considered. And as um, one of the people who spoke, I can't recall who I'm afraid, um, the North Essex Authority's uh, inspector's letters, um, the first one of those letters did um, accept 5,000 as being a reasonable limit uh, to, to use for garden communities. On that particular last point, in the SA report itself at page 65, 
at uh, paragraphs 8.18 down to 8.19 that discusses the 5,000 dwelling threshold, uh, the reasons for it, uh, including uh, the range of social and physical infrastructure, the views of Essex County Council, and then at 8.19 it goes on to deal with the views of the North Essex inspectors' uh, conclusions um, and uh, deals with the uh, guide to uh, infrastructure contributions and then quotes from part of uh, the North Essex inspectors' letter of June 2018 uh, where he concluded, uh, in setting the garden community's threshold, it was legitimate in my view for the North Essex authorities to take account of the increased financial viability, curriculum choice and range of facilities that a larger secondary school could provide, it was logical also to take into account the greater range of employment opportunities, healthcare and other community facilities uh, that could be supported by a garden community of 5,000 dwellings compared with a smaller settlement. So instance, picking up on the points you just highlighted, um, but uh, also making the point it's not, it's not a question of knowing what is the minimum size of secondary school whether it's four forms of entry or whatever but what is the appropriate size in the education authority's view to enable them to deliver quality education with a range of curricular uh, choices for the students and, and so on and one gets into you know, debates about that but we clearly know what the uh, county council thinks on that through the, uh, uh, the views that they've expressed Thank you uh, Madam, just while I've, I've still got yes. the, the microphone for a moment, uh, just going back a stage to um, uh, the points being put, and Ms Hutton's first point in terms of uh, the, uh, the range of reasonable alternatives, uh, and the, the important uh, matter, recognising that it's a matter for uh, judgement, is whether... Uh, the uh, range of alternatives uh, which have been considered allow uh, for meaningful uh, comparisons uh, between them to be drawn and secondly whether adding other permutations to the mix would enable in a sense materially different meaningful comparisons uh, to be made so that you could uh, expect a radically different conclusion from the exercise if you consider those. Now, of course, around uh, this room, uh, depending on the viewpoint of the representer as to what they're seeking to achieve out of this plan, clearly there will be some that might say, well, you should have only considered two garden communities and the one you should not have considered is X, the one I am passionately opposed to. But that answer would be different between uh, the various participants. Yes. So realistically, if one was to widen the range between having an option of the three garden communities as proposed, the garden communities at different sizes as proposed, or no garden communities, all of those being things which have been assessed, if you were to assess anything in a sense between them, you would have to assess permutations of each individual garden community 
on its own and then it in combination with one of the others but not the other one yes. so you would then have as it were a potentially it's not quite an infinite number but you would yes, have a wide a range of, yes. of, of, of alternatives and then you have to ask yourself well in terms of the comparative assessment would you meaningfully gain more insight into the performance in, in relative terms between the range of options when you do know that the option of no garden communities and therefore where you would distribute the development elsewhere has been assessed and you also know that shrinking, as it were, the contributions from the garden communities and therefore having to distribute that development elsewhere in the district, that has been assessed as well as the preferred option. So between those permutations, in my respectful submission, you've got a sufficient handle on the range of alternatives without needing to go through that extra exercise of, well, you could have done this and you could have done that. Uh, and so my, my submission would be that there's been an adequate consideration of the, the range of reasonable alternatives to make an informed uh, choice. So Mr. Uh, Miles has dealt with the... Uh, uh, the reasons for the 5,000 dwelling uh, threshold and uh, he's dealt with the factual position uh, in relation to the west of Braintree uh, um, is that a realistic alternative or not and he's explained why uh, not including that is uh, certainly a, a potential reasonable alternative and uh, so far as then the, I think the point about the um, uh, this is Miss Hutton's fourth point uh, which is the, uh, as it were, the cumulative assessment in terms of uh, looking not only in the plan period uh, but looking uh, beyond the plan period. It, it's certainly right that in the arithmetic table, which is in Appendix 5, page 430, thank you, it's certainly right that that table only gives you a quantum uh, for the uh, development expected to come forward in the plan period. But that isn't the end of the exercise. Uh, and Ms. Hutton did uh, say that you needed to look uh, at the individual commentary against the various objectives. She's right about that. You do need to look at that. But with respect, she was wrong to tell you that when you look at that commentary, it only ever tells you about the post-plan development at the garden communities where that might deliver a positive benefit and it doesn't include any uh, negative uh, benefits. And I, I say you, you've got the full document, so I leave you to read that through at your leisure. Yes. But when you look, I'm just looking at objective one, just because that happens to be the first one in, in the list. It's dealing with uh, biodiversity. And that does recognise at page 432, there could be arguments that the delivery of Eastern Park would in the long term have a greater impact on the SSSI given the scale of development. It then goes on to consider the implications of that uh, and, and so on. So as you go through it, you will see that regard was had uh, to uh, the overall uh, scale of development in the commentary it's right to say that, I say, arithmetically in the figures 
uh, in uh, the table at 4.30, uh, the um, scale of development is referable to the plan period. But then again, you have to step back and ask, what are we doing when we're doing SA? We're doing SA to test uh, the, the strategy in the plan against reasonable alternatives to deliver on the objectives of the plan. The objectives of the plan are to meet needs for the plan period. That is a period to 2033. So it's entirely reasonable that that's the primary focus when one's looking at the quantitative distribution. But it would be quite wrong to suggest when you read the SA that the SA has disregarded the full scale of development at the garden communities, i.e. the post-2033 position, because it hasn't disregarded that. And so we've assessed, in a sense, what comes with the uh, plan proposals through the, uh, in, in, as it were, the wake of the plan proposals. That ha has been part of the SA assessment. And then in terms of the comparative assessment, we've recognised that the larger scale of the garden communities is part of that narrative uh, against the objectives. Thank you. Do you want to come back on any of those points before we move on? Yeah, I'm on just a, a couple of points. Um, first point with regard to, well, would you gain any more insight? And the answer is clearly yes. Um, the options, we know three of them included garden, all three garden communities. One, no garden communities, that was option three. And it said because we've considered no garden communities, we've essentially looked at the impacts of um, removing one or two garden communities. So that's clearly not the case because if you remove, for example, uh, North Uttlesford, um, you are, as I said earlier, you're looking for 2,000 houses um, elsewhere, whereas option three, no garden communities, seeks to place 5,000 houses elsewhere because it's um, the uh, total of uh, that which will come forward in the plan period at Eastern Park, North Uttlesford and West of Braintree. So that assessment on lower numbers simply hasn't been done. And we remember one of the reasons why ACOM said that the previous SA was so flawed was because it was comparing, um, it, it was looking at the wrong numbers in relation to some of its reasonable alternatives. So it, it's simply wrong to say that because you've got option three as compared with one, two A and two B, uh, you've effectively considered the impacts you haven't and, and indeed there simply is no assessment um, uh, of, of one or two garden communities. In terms of the uh, 5,000 threshold, um, well it's very, very clear from the SA that the 5,000 threshold um, was reliant on the primary driver of what was said to be the minimum for the secondary school. Uh, it's now in a sort of ex post facto uh, reasons contained in ED4 said that there's now an updated document which says a sixth form entry uh, secondary school requires four, four and a half thousand dwellings. Um, but of course, um, and, it, and it was said today, well that gives you a broader range of subject matters and it's better uh, for the pupils. Uh, and then Mr Bedford uh, drew your attention to the reasoning in the North Essex uh, authorities letter 8.19 uh, of the SA but that is not the reasoning of this council it's not the reasoning in any document 
that's gone before any full council meeting, and that's, we know, uh, the relevant body when it's taking decisions on the plan, to decide effectively we're going to set this line of 5,000 because we want all singing, all dancing, secondary schools. That was a decision made in North Essex and which was found to be lawful. It's not a decision that's been made here. So you can't, this authority can't rely on North Essex uh, uh, authorities' reasons in that regard. The, um, and, and as I say, even more crucially, there's been no decision by this council to say that we want a singing or dancing uh, secondary school. In fact, we want three of them. And um, th that is completely apart from, for example, heritage or landscape impacts. We're going to put that uh, factor above uh, those impacts. That's not been, um, so in fact, not been <laughs> decided uh, by this local authority, although effectively uh, what has happened. So, um, in summary, there has been um, no rational reasoning behind that 5,000 number, and the decision not to revisit it was unlawful. Thank you. That just reminded me of the point that maybe needs addressing about it being put above um, heritage and landscape impact. We need to just address that that wasn't weighted in the. Um, I don't think we accept that it has been put above landscape and heritage. I don't think we we don't accept that uh, it's been put above landscape and heritage. Um, the sustainability appraisal in, in assessing the, um, the, the reasonable alternative spatial strategy options and the sites within those options looks at a range of different factors, including landscape and heritage, to assess the impact of, of the proposals on those um, objectives. It doesn't then go on to say either implicitly or, or explicitly that um, a five, the 5,000 5, home threshold um, outweighs any of those considerations. Could I just point you again as well to the document ED uh, for the response to representations because we cover that point a bit in response to Historic England as well in terms of how it relates to the broad areas of search and uh, responding to their, their representations where they, they requested that um, suggested that Audley End Register Park and Garden be excluded but they didn't suggest that the North Huddersfield Garden community be excluded at that, that stage. Yeah, um, I'll bring you in in a moment. That just brings me on to the point, obviously, uh, Historic England are not around the table today, and that's something um, that they've raised um, as a concern. It says, whilst we accept that the council initially identified a large number of areas of search in 2015, which is what Ms. Hutton said, only a handful of proposals came forward through the calls for sites process, only three of which met the council's threshold of 5,000. It was clear that stage that there were major concerns regarding the proposal at North Huddersfield on heritage grounds, um, and they obviously made a, a fundamental objection. And what they say is that the council could and should have been more proactively sought alternative options, um, and they're concerned that you didn't. I think it's important to raise these points here in this arena, but they're not here. Um, 
and it goes on, I, can, I won't read it all, but that was a sort of precy of, of what they, they said, so I don't know whether you want to address that, and then I'll come on to the people that are waiting to speak. Thank you. Um, yeah. um, so I would like to direct you to paragraph 3.10 of our um, statement, matter one statement, where we note that the PLA identified... Um, had 350, identified, identified and assessed over 350 sites with a theoretical capacity of 18,000 dwellings while exceeding the, the needs of the district. The, so it, the, um, the council in, in coming to its conclusions hasn't, conclusions around the proposed strategy hasn't uh, been constrained by the, the number of options available to it. We have, we have different options, we have assessed those different options and, and we consider that the option in the, in the plan is the best one. In a further point to make on, um, on Historic England's criticism here is the, one of the key um, considerations for the, for the Council is that the sites are deliverable. We need to be sure that there is a uh, willing landowner um, is going to take the sites forward, otherwise we run the risk of sites in the future not being developed and that impacting on the, the council's plans and uh, yeah, impacting well, on the, the five-year supply, etc. Yeah, all that, yes. all that above, yeah. Thank you, uh, Mr. Robson. Thank you. Just to say that we had very similar discussions a few weeks ago in the Bedford examination. In that situation, the debate was about multiples of 500 at the primary level rather than the secondary level. Um, the, your colleagues in that examination were very concerned about the blunt instrument whereby education seemed to be given quite an elevated status in the threshold for testing science. I can't say it any further because the interim findings aren't due out until early August, but I think it's very relevant to the discussions we're having this afternoon, particularly in the context of our written submissions, where we say there has been a void in the assessment of sites below 5,000 and above 1,000. I just wanted to highlight that this isn't a new issue. In certain comments, I would endorse, and these blunt instrument education thresholds have been rehearsed very recently. Thank you. Mr. Powney, you've been sat patiently waiting. Do you want to, uh... Thank you, Madam. Um, I'm just going to address the, uh, the narrow assessment of reasonable alternatives for em employment land in the SA. Um, I'll elaborate on some of the points I, I made earlier um, today. I think one of the major fundamental flaws um, with employment land is it's nowhere near the level of detail that you have for the, for the housing sites and the ultimate housing land use strategy in the local plan. Throughout the SA um, and other documents, the housing trajectory has been looked at in detail over a five-year and 15-year period. There's been no such assessment of that with regards to employment, land and meeting employment need uh, across the very narrow assessment of uh, reasonable alternatives. And I think that is a fundamental flaw. Um, the, the two objectives that sort of deal with employment, objective 14 and 15, um, the, the only three sites which are looked at in the employment uh, alternatives are Gaunt's End, um, Chesterford Research Park and Stanford North. As I was trying to say earlier today, 
employment markets are very different. So Chesterford Research Park is one option and the only one I think that I've seen put forward for dealing with R&D employment need. Now I'm not saying that that is an appropriate site but it's the one option put forward for R&D. Gaunt's End has looked for, at, you know, for a number of things but the, the most recent investment is for large scale office that has come forward there. Um, then you have also Stanford North where it's a bit of a mixed provision and as I said before there's been very limited assessments made in terms of its deliverability looking at the fuel farm issues and health and safety and there'll have to be separation distances, there's decontamination, there's demolition, there's air quality, there's access. So for me that would point that that site would come forward towards the end of the plan period. So if we look at those three assessments, the big gap is where is this very, very strong demand for industrial and warehouse premises, which is now at 0.6% availability. You'll also see in our submission, it's not just us running numbers on the market. We've worked with local agents and we have 13 letters from local companies that cannot expand their operations in Uttlesford because they can't find appropriate premises. And also, we've got companies that want to move into Uttlesford and can't find appropriate premises. There's effectively no supply. So I think my pertinent question to the Council is, where is this very strong demand for industrial and warehouse premises accommodated in the land use strategy? Because I, I can't see it anywhere. I think there's overlap there as well with what we'll discuss tomorrow in terms of objectively assessing yes, need as yes, well, isn't it? Yes, I'll, I'll be here right, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just to wrap up, it's also that point. In that market and deliverability context, it, it's, hard, it, it's hard to hear that the CPZ is based on the analysis, and I know it is, um, about this, this airport in the country. And I'm not saying the CPZ is not a valid consideration, but it seems to be the primary consideration which is discount very, very deliverable employment sites, such as the one that I'm acting for, but won't discuss. Now, the problem with the CPZ is the council, and it's also in our submission, have been approving a number of employment and other applications in the CPZ as part of its development management functions. This is very, very actionable intelligence, and those approvals are being based on weighing the economic, social and economic considerations as required in the NPPF. So it's not appropriate for the SA, in my opinion, to discount a lot of sites just because they're in the CPZ when the council's planning functions are approving schemes and including employment schemes directly adjacent to the site we're interested in um, right near the junction of the M11 and the A120. Um. Okay, I'll ask the council to comment on that because I think employment is sort of a discrete area that not many people are interested, well, not interested in, but are not here to speak about um, uh, today. Mr. Miles, do you want to make any comment on that? Uh, yes, thank you. So I might be repeating what I said earlier, but the the, the council's CPZ review um, has not identified this particular site or, or any site as appropriate to be removed from the um, CPZ. This is a strategic review to 
review of the CPZ to inform the local plan. And um, I think we're, uh, we are comfortable with uh, the fact that it's not been uh, assessed as a reasonable alternative. Okay, so you feel that the, all the reasonable alternatives have been assessed as part of this? They haven't been the sort of uh, Cinderella of the essay that the employment, in terms of, I think that was sort of one of the criticisms levelled almost that they. Yeah, um, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, another point made was that the, um, the question where, where is this uh, strong employment? Uh, in particularly industrial employment land needs to be met, to be accommodated um, and the council's position is that this is at north side, the north employment site in Stamford Airport. Okay, and we'll discuss some of that tomorrow as well about need and figures and, and things and, and again we can text Mr Peter. Yeah, just, um, just to point you to the part of the, the essay report, so page um, 107 um, is where we discuss employment land options and uh, Thank you, that's helpful. And just to say that the essay doesn't discount, hasn't discounted sites, that's not its purpose. It, um... okay. um, let's see where I'm up to. Anybody else? Mr. Bant. Oh, sorry, have I missed one along this row? Sorry. I can't see for Mr. Butcher. Mr Warren. Thank you very much, ma'am. Rupert Warren, QC, on behalf of Landsec, promoters of Eastern Park. May I make three short observations, largely in support of what the Council said, in particular the legal points that Mr Bedford's made. We're dealing, obviously, in this session with the legal question, the pro which, is, in a sense, is a process question rather than the, the substantive judgments that go... Can I just, if you're just promoting the site and you're not making a... No, no, I'm making a point about the legal test that you're addressing, ma'am. Right, okay. Um, and and there, are three, there are three short points. Um, the, the first is that um, the test is one of rationality. You're reviewing whether the council has gone beyond uh, the range of its uh, legal discretion in identifying what the reasonable alternative uses are. And that was obviously a hugely high hurdle. And it's why those of the representatives who've actually try to address the legal question rather than the, the planning points that lie underneath have had to overstate their case to such an extent to say that X or Y is irrational or illogical is an extremely high hurdle um, and it's an evaluative exercise as soon as you've begun to hear detailed points about the 5,000 or about the extent to which heritage is weighed in you, you we're immediately taken aren't we to um, the nuanced evaluation that the councils had to undertake over a period of time on those subjects. And that, that really drives home the fact that it's a long way from objecting to the outcomes of the exercise to get to an unlawful judgment that the council has made. And, and from what I've heard expanded around the room today, um, my submission would be that you haven't heard anything remotely approaching um, supporting an illogicality or an irrationality on the part of the, I mean, of the, the council. It's the council's job to um, um, defend their um, sustainability appraisal. It's not for people promoting sites. So I it think no, it, it isn't, ma'am. I, I appreciate that, of course. But um, like, like you and a number of other people, the, the, uh, the Bedford example was mentioned, um, other experience of these points being debated. This is a good example, I think, of the detailed points being made straying well beyond the legal test that you're 
you have in front of you. Um, the only other point I'd make, ma'am, is about paragraph 8.165 that you were taken to earlier on in the, the updated sustainability appraisal, page 104, I think, of that document, document 104.20. And that's where the, the nub of this point is addressed, where the council says they recognise that it might be said by some that they should have looked at only one or two garden communities. And there are two reasons given there. One could have, and people have expressed views about whether they agree with them, but the question is whether those two, either or both of those two points expressed there are irrational or illogical. And that, that's, ma'am, I, I hope the point that is front and centre when you're considering this in due course. Okay, thank you. Mr. Barber. Thank you, ma'am, again. Uh, I'll keep it brief. Um, was 4.5 to 4.7 hour statement, uh, but I'd, I'd like to concur with the comments previously about um, the uh, uh, SPZ, which in itself is a policy construct, uh, and the subject of objection, and I, said, I think debate further on in this examination process. Uh, applying that um, policy constraint at the very start um, restricts the opportunity to consider uh, other sustainable options in, in the terms of reasonable alternatives. Thank you. It might be worth just addressing that point that's been made did it, in terms of the CPZ, did, it, did that sort of rule out an area where no other reasonable um, alternatives were considered in that um, zone? Uh, I might ask Mr. <laughs> to address this, actually. I, I think it would be best to direct you to, to chapter 8 and where so we look at each pass it along the line to yeah. somebody else then. <laughs> look at where we consider each of the individual settlements because we refer to the CPZ there and whether, so for example Takeley there was another option which sits within the CPZ that was taken forward in comparison to an option to the south so um, I think rather than me flicking through the best to look at those settlements and where we discuss them individually. Okay. So it's chapter 8? Yeah. So we'll go away and have a read yeah. of that in our own. Just, just on references to documents and just on the point about um, what one needs to assess. There was one other reference I think it may be helpful just to give you. Um, it's paragraph 8160, uh, which is it's the introduction um, to um, option 2. Uh, and the reason just for drawing your attention to that, option two was effectively then split into a 2A and a 2B, but in paragraph 8160 it makes it clear what in overall terms option two was dealing with. And it was a permutation of effectively assuming less development at the garden communities. The reason uh, was because let's assume that delivery is delayed by so many years, but the actual then consequence of that was to remove 2,000 dwellings from the garden communities and then seek to distribute them somewhere else. Now, you will recall that that's, give or take, the figure that Ms Hutton is putting to you needed to be assessed mm. as to what its implications were. Well, I say it was adequately assessed there. You don't then need to assess a separate option, which is, well, we're only going to have one garden community if you've already assessed the option of, well, what happens if you just assume less development at the garden communities, put it somewhere else, and there effectively you're dealing with what would happen if you removed 
one of the gardening communities because you've then got the so alternative. So in a more generic sense. Of exactly. So, so, so you're getting the substance and I say how you badge the different options then becomes this matter of judgment and uh, uh, discretion. And I, I say, well, I'd be repeating myself. I just say my submission is you've got an adequate range uh, that fully allows you to assess the uh, reasonable alternatives. And that's a big discussion, I think, probably for Thursday, isn't it, about the spatial strategy and you know how how best to deal with that as well. Um, I'll come back to you in a minute. I'll just. Uh, but just very quickly on that point, Ron, thank you. Uh, the point is, okay, yes, um, eight, paragraph 8160 indicates um, that what's been looked at is putting 2,000 homes elsewhere. But what it hasn't looked at is the other side of the balance, which, for example, with the removal of North Athelsford, um, you would be uh, removing the historic England objection, to which significant weight needs to be given. You would not be causing the significant harm to multiple heritage assets. You would be not causing the significant landscape harm and the myriad of other issues. And, of course, that is what has not been assessed. So it's not sufficient to say, well, look, we've looked at another option which involves redistributing 2,000 houses because the other side of the balance hasn't been looked at. Thank you. I'll come back to you, Ms. Powell. There was somebody else, Mr. Bampton, had his... Uh... Um, I wanted to add to what Ms. Hutton's been saying because I wholeheartedly agree with it because it's the impact of those extra houses that you're saving by removing a garden community in the long term after the plan period that could be so very harmful. And I, I, earlier I referred to Camborne. Camborne, they built one garden community. It's taken so long for it to become something I would now describe as sustainable that if you have three garden communities that effectively stall, you end up with three half-built settlements. And then you have three unsustainable settlements that are having a negative impact on the rural character of Uttlesford. Um, and I think this goes in further in terms of the alternatives that they should have been considering that they haven't. People keep talking about the threshold of a secondary school. What about the threshold of a primary school? Because that's only 1,500 units. And that's a, that's a rural village, that, which would be accustomed to the character of Uttlesford. And, it, and there are areas where I would say Wendon's Ammo being a prime example of this, where it has one of the best trained networks in the, in the district. You have fast trains to London, you have fast trains to Cambridge, if you, but you have a village that doesn't have a primary school. If you built 1,500 houses in a location like that, you would make that settlement more sustainable by providing a primary school. You'd have built people, houses for people connected to sustainable transport links. They can go on. And these are the things that haven't been considered by the sustainability appraisal. And I think the other, the other thing that hasn't been considered by it is the meaningful contribution that small sites can make to the delivery of houses. You know, everything that seems to be in this plan are things that will only be built by volume house builders. You were talking thousands of houses. Um, the government has introduced a drive for custom and self-built houses, that they want people to be able to build their own homes. There's no real provision for this. I'm sure the council will say in a minute that we put a 5% provision in the garden communities. That's not where people who build their own houses want to live. They want to live in the rural villages. In Uttlesford, 70% of people live in the villages. It says it at the front of the local plan that's been submitted to you. So why are we building 70% of houses in new urban environments? And something, I was at a talk a few months back by the, head of, the chairman of the Right to Build uh, Society, and he was talking about ways that councils could encourage self-built custom houses. And one of the things he suggested was drawing settlement boundaries looser. 
Nothing. Sorry to interrupt. I'm conscious of the time and we will be dealing with this under the special no, strategy. I, I just think that it's particularly relevant to the legal compliance point because it's something that's not been considered is drawing settlement boundaries looser so that you get more windfall sites and therefore having a, meaningful, a more meaningful contribution from windfall sites. And basically, to sum up, those two things are things that have clearly not been considered by the Council and that are reasonable alternatives that can address some of the shortfall if you were to remove garden communities. And I don't think that you can make a valid decision without having that information to hand. So, thank you. Thank you. I'll come back, uh, Mr. Thompson. Um, thank you. Um, I'd like to refer, please, if I may, to a point made by Ms. Hutton this morning with respect to the lack of assessment of the garden communities post-2033, the end of the, of the plan, and to raise in that context the question of Carver Barracks, which, as you know, is a large brownfield site, which the Ministry of Defence have said will become available two years before the end of this plan, and which doesn't warrant more than a brief paragraph in the local plan. Now, fearful of a lengthy lecture from our learned friend, Mr. Mr. Bedford, uh, supported by his comrade-in-arms, Mr. Warren, I do, of course, appreciate that this would not uh, help towards this local plan. However, it does seem to me that Ms. Hutton's point is entirely valid and that any plan must look beyond its 15-year period and that Carver Barracks should be uh, looked at in that context and the alternatives for the current plan. And if that isn't done, whether this point is a point of a legal point or whether it's a point of uh, judgment, uh, deferring to Mr. Bedford, I would suggest that if the plan is not credible in the eyes of the public, then it will necessarily fail. And in the eyes of the public, this is uppermost in their minds. Thank you. Thank you. I think Carver Barracks is mentioned, isn't it, as something for a future review or, or a next plan. We're obviously into a phase now where we're reviewing plans much more regularly and things. So that, as I understand it, that's, that was that from what I've read. Yes, yeah, that was... That, that's correct, yes. Yeah, just to save a little bit of time, yeah. Miss um, Parsons. Just picking up on the point about um, you would only look at other alternatives if you could be sure that they would give you a different uh, outcome. And I think that was mentioned earlier on by Mr. <coughs> Excuse me, Mr. Bedford in relation to this issue of dropping a, a, one of the garden communities. What's the point of doing that if you're going to get similar outcomes and you'd have 36, I think it is, if you factorise that, 36 different permutations by dropping one or either of the... Um, garden communities. He then came on to talk about how at power 8.160 the 2,000 unit reduction is in effect considered by option 2. You'll be aware that our uh, consideration here relates to Stanson Mount Fitchett and that's the example that I'll give in, in exemplifying the point that I'm about to make <coughs> if I keep my voice that long. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. Um, the site that we put forward has the capacity to deliver in excess of 300 units that site has never been considered as part of the reasonable alternatives and instead for Stanstead Mount Fitchett you have a total of seven sites that are delivering the units so you would get very different outcomes if you'd considered the site that we'd put forward as opposed to the seven different ones that were there so we say that the evidence isn't there to support the reasonable alternatives that have been included within option two. Thank you. 
don't think you need to comment on that. Um, are there any other points anybody wants to make on reasonable alternatives? Points obviously that have not already been covered. Mr. Bampton, is your um, nameplate still up from before? Yeah, okay. So I think we've covered all of that, and I think probably point four has really been considered. Have any concerns been raised about the updated SA? Um, some, of, some of these questions are really aimed when we do MIQs and things at the council to try and tease out um, information. So as they come on to the agenda and things, we tend to find that they get covered as we go through. Um, I think we've probably done it all to death. <laughs> Miss Hutton, did you want to say something on that? I have got a new point that okay, I didn't bring for this question, um, but I'll, I'll be brief. And it follows on from what Mr. Cosgrove was saying um, at the start of the day, but it is a slightly different one. Um, the point is that the, the very purpose of the SEA is to inform the plan-making process and the local planning authority's decision-making. And Mr. Cosgrove made his submissions to you under the 2012 regulations. If I can just address... Uh, the SEA directive um, and um, the SEA regulations. Now, Article 4 of the directive requires the environmental assessment to be carried out during the preparation of a plan or programme and before its adoption or, or submission to the legislative procedure. And um, we have uh, provided you with a copy of the Friends of the Earth case, which is appended to our hearing statement. Uh, and at paragraph 88, uh, seven of that, Roman seven, and says that the purpose is that it, together with consultation responses, informs decision-making which moulds the plan. Uh, that's also expressed uh, express in the ju judgment in seaport investments, which was referred to uh, by Mr. Bedford earlier, paragraph 51, where the expectation is that the one informs the other, the SEA informs the plan, plan informs the SEA, etc., um, the, SEA, the SA process, which informed the plan up until submission, is not now relied upon by this local planning authority on the advice of its own consultants. And that's the ACOM November 2018 report, document 104.22. So the only SA relied upon, therefore, is uh, one which was still being consulted upon at the point uh, of submission. And crucially, we know that no decisions of the Council have been taken uh, upon it because we know that the last decision taken by the Council is the decision to submit back in October of last year, 9th of October, but we know at the time of that decision even the Council admits the SEA was unlawful. So the submission uh, of this plan was on the 18th, the eventual submission was the 18th of January uh, 2019. Um, and so it, it's fair to say, on, on the basis of that chronology, that at no point has the preparation of this plan been influenced by a lawful SA. Uh, and, in, and indeed an SA that's been consulted upon and the consultation responses having been considered. So, in those circumstances, the entirety of that process... I think your microphone's gone off. Must have run out of battery. That's a sign. I'll, I'll shut up in a moment. <laughs> um, so uh, it, it's worth um, focusing in well, on, for example, the point at which the North Athelsford Garden community became confirmed to demonstrate uh, the failure to adopt this evidence-based iterative approach, uh, which the case law makes clear should happen. Um, and uh, the 
we set that out in fine detail in section uh, three of our response to the updated SA. But as I said earlier, it's clear that at the time the North Uttlesford um, community was announced as being part of the plan, there was no transport modelling, no IDP, uh, no economic viability, or there was an economic viability study but based solely on speculative information, no landscape impact assessment, no heritage impact assessment. So the process was flawed back then and it continues to be uh, flawed now, not remedied by this updated SA. Now, if I can just deal briefly with the points that um, in, uh, for example, Grosvenor's uh, main matter one hearing statement, where it said, well, that doesn't matter because a later SA can remedy all of your problems from before. And the, and the case uh, stated, uh, the case relied upon is, is the one of cogent land, which it gives us authority that a subsequent SA can correct previous errors. That's correct, that is what happened there. But the courts have been absolutely clear that what has to happen is a, a very um, detailed and um, detailed understanding of the factual uh, circumstances surrounding uh, each SA and decisions uh, taken upon it. And in that case, it's relevant to note that the particular error in the earlier SA was the failure to give reasons for a particular, the selection of a particular option. Those reasons were later provided in an updated SA. Now, this case is very, very far from the cogent land fact. And I would urge... Um, you to read that case in Cogent Land because we, we are very far from it. Um, this is a case where ACOM has expressly concluded that the, essentially the entirety of the previous SA was substantively flawed. And in those circumstances, the errors simply cannot be corrected by a new SA which has not itself formed any part of the Council's decision making. And that, we say, is crucial. It's never gone before uh, the full Council. Um, it may be that other parties also raised the case of no Adestral Newtown before you. It's a court of appeal case, and I can provide the reference. Um, that was not simply a reasons error, but it, what, it what it represented was an, an SA which historically had, been, uh, had not taken place. There was then a new SA later on before submission. There had been consultation on the updated SA, and it was said in that case, well, yes, that SA has remedied the problems of the past. Again, not the case here, uh, where you've got an SA which um, cannot have and indeed has not informed any decision-making by the Council. Um, so my submission is slightly different from the submissions made by Mr Cosgrove because it relies on the SEA directive as opposed to the local planning regulations. But Mr Cosgrove's nodding behind you, so he obviously agrees as well. So, so there we are. So um, if he agrees with me, I must be right. So, anyway, I'll leave it there. Thank you, Mum. Okay, thank you. Madam, I, since there are some new legal points there, I do just briefly want to comment on them. Yes. Uh, the first point is, um, my learned friend, Ms Hutton, is just utterly wrong in seeking to um, shoehorn what the SA directive requires with its reference to plan preparation with our domestic regime which distinguishes between plan preparation and examination. That was the point I made right at the outset. For SEA purposes, preparation is everything up to adoption. So the work that you 
uh, are doing in this examination for SEA purposes is just as much part of the preparation of the plan as the work that the council was doing prior to submission. And SEA doesn't distinguish, as it were, which particular entities are involved in the process of producing the plan. And there could be, for example, SEA required of a supplementary planning document, which obviously would only have one author, doesn't have an independent examination stage because SPDs don't have an independent examination stage. The SEA directive bites in exactly the same way procedurally on an SPD as it would bite on a DPD, but obviously in domestic law there's a fundamental difference, but that fundamental difference in domestic law has no bearing on the lawfulness of the SEA work that has been undertaken, whether it's undertaken by the council or whether it's undertaken after submission, either by the council or indeed at your direction, let's say, to inform proposed modifications. None of that matters for the purpose of whether it's an adequate SEA. So that's the first uh, point I just wanted to emphasise. Uh, and in a sense, it's reinforced by the reference to the cogent land case where um, Mr Justice Singh, as he then was, was being asked specifically by the claimant in that case to say, well, this plan's now been submitted, they can't retrieve the position, they can't do anything about it. And he rejected that and said, well, no, preparation can continue until adoption, and therefore if there is a subsequent document, then that is satisfactory. Um, then the um, uh, second uh, element uh, that I wanted to make clear is the council doesn't accept that, as it were, everything prior to the AECOM work was flawed, unlawful, and therefore should be discarded. What uh, the council has done, having regard to the uh, recommendations that uh, it learnt through the North Essex inspectors' Um, letters was to take prudent advice and to review the essay work that had earlier been done and it's right to say that in relation to the issue of reasonable alternatives and in relation to the issue of clarity of explanation the AECOM review is critical of those elements of the earlier SA work. Now, what the AECOM review doesn't seek to do, and in a sense one wouldn't expect it to because it's advice from consultants rather than advice from lawyers, it doesn't seek to say that as a matter of law the earlier SA work was non-compliant and would have failed. It simply says, well, there are risks here and we therefore recommend that you uh, manage those risks by doing further work. But so far as the earlier SA work is concerned, I say I don't invite you to disregard it. It is of value. First of all, it's of value because it provides you with the baseline information which is then utilised uh, as one goes forward through the SA process. And secondly, it's of value because um, 
the FA is, as we all understand, an iterative process, and there are stages during the process, and one evaluates, refines, reevaluates, refines, and so on. And when you look through the current update SA, you will see in chapters, I think, 5, 6, and 7, it goes through the narrative of the SA work which had been undertaken hitherto. It draws on that work where appropriate to do so, including, for example, and it's only an example, but the issue that uh, uh, Historic England had raised in their representations of saying, oh, well, you only ever reacted to sites that were presented to you. You never went out and thought about spatially where you should be looking. It's a complete fiction, I'm afraid. It's a, it's a, it's a misapprehension by Historic England of the position. And the reason why uh, I say that, and we've provided uh, the um, response in ED4, and the response is provided uh, in ED4 at um, page 3 of 9. But what that draws on, sorry, it's the um, bottom two paragraphs on page 3 of 9. What that draws on is the earlier work that was considered through the areas of search, the SA process in 2015, 2016, uh, and so on. And all of that is part of the iterative process, which then informed the strategy. I say what AECOM were critical of were elements of that work. Some of those criticisms actually with respect, were presentational criticisms, i.e. the documents weren't clear enough about explaining what had been done or why it had been done or how they related to the objectives and so on. Some of it was more substantive, and obviously the main substantive criticism was the one of the selection of reasonable alternatives and were they actually alternatives that could have delivered on the plan's objectives or not. Uh, and then obviously AECOM have uh, provided their own independent work which has set out an appropriate range of uh, reasonable alternatives. But certainly I wouldn't want you to approach uh, the, uh, your conclusions on the basis that Miss Hutton was inviting you to approach it, which was to say, well, effectively, until uh, the AECOM work, there is nothing by way of uh, SA or SEA that could support this plan, because that is far from the position. Thank so you. I think those were the, the, the key points I just wanted to make by way of response to Miss Hutton's new points. Thank you. Mr. Bustard. Thank you. A couple of points regarding the SA from Natural England. Two really to make and before the um, HRA items to follow. Um, the main one to start with links to emerging work and, and recently submitted evidence base linked to the Hatfield Forest SSSI and National Nature Reserve uh, which, uh, which have formed part of the evidence base for the plan. Um, in the time since uh, submitting our comments on the SA, we've um, quite a bit of work with the council yes. to progress a statement of common yes. ground. 
Um, so our thanks to the council for, for that. Um, so we're happy with the position reached, but um, can offer to take any questions that might arise if you have them and while we're here. Um, the second point, I suppose, is perhaps a more general one around air quality, um, partly to offer a few points of clarification. In the updated SA, um, for example, paragraph 10.17, um, it's reported that the strategic solution, or at least the work at Hatfield Forest SSSI, uh, is connected to both um, recreational pressure and air quality uh, issues, uh, whereas that strategy um, is just limited to recreational uh, pressure on that site. It, it doesn't address air quality concerns. Now, we understand that um, some clarification on that has come through from document ED4, um, and that, that is welcome, but seems to just address the point that um, air quality concerns are not regarded to be significant for Hatfield Forest, um, whereas I, I think the SA um, identifies that there are a number of um, sites that may be vulnerable to air quality uh, issues. So we'd just like to seek some clarification as to whether the SA has looked um, at the cumulative effects of air quality on the wider range of statutory designated sites, um, not, not limited to um, Hatfield Forest. Um, I mean, our, our view is that this could be easily overcome with some additional policy wording. I must say we, we didn't get um, in the time available to include that in the Statement of Common Ground, but I think a relatively minor policy adjustment could cover um, the need for appropriate um, traffic and air quality assessments at the planning application stages for the, uh, the larger allocations would, would overcome that. Um, we'll probably discuss some of that a week after next and also the development management policy stage. There will be some discussion around the sure. sort of environmental policies. Okay, that's right. We um, were unlikely to attend more than today's session, right, okay. so I thought I would mention it. Uh, no, thank now. you. I realise you've got um, yeah. lots of work to do okay, and hopefully under resourced and things. So, uh, and the other environmental issues, some are covered in the SA, but also in the HRA. So I'm happy to leave them to questions uh, six through eight. Maybe yes, we'll come on to those mm -hmm. in a moment. Okay. Yeah. Does the council want to comment on the air quality um, issues that have been raised? Uh, if the inspectors find it helpful, we're happy to follow that up with Natural England, the, the potential for additional minor policy adjustments. Yes, that would be helpful. Just yeah. We'll deal with that outside of this room and, and uh, possibly an amendment to the statement of common ground if that's... Um, that's possible or helpful. I'll leave it to you. You seem as though you're kind of able to deal with things between you, and I'd rather not intervene if I don't have to in these things. If people can sort things out between themselves, then all to the good. Yeah, okay, thank you. Mr. Powney, did you want to say something else? Or? Sorry, just a, a very, very quick point. Um, not wanting to be a tit for tat with the council, but it was just in their response on the reasonable alternatives and come back that. The, to, to accommodate uh, industrial and warehouse demand. <clears throat> it's the Stanford North site. I'm just wondering 
am I to take from that that there's only one option proposed in meeting that strong demand? Um, and without repeating myself, that one option, um, there's been no work around the deliverability of that site in the, the short to medium term. So the first point <coughs> is there only one option, which is, I think is what they're saying. And obviously the, to say that one option uh, is sufficient when there's been no work on deliverability is, uh, is, is something that we have concerns with. Mr Miles, do you want to quickly comment on Thank you. Um, so there's not just the, that one option. The um, garden communities are, of course, providing employment yeah. land within them as well. And one of the modifications we have suggested through, I think, our matter eight statement is to include the employment land suggested through the Hardesty Jones work within the garden communities policies. There are also other... Um, smaller scale allocations in the um, local plan for employment land as well. For example, one in Little Canfield. Thank you. Are there any other points? We're really keen to try and move on. Time's pressing on. Um, the next point on the agenda, have the council complied with the requirements of section 19.5 of the 2004 Act with regards to SA? I think we covered that um, uh, this morning. It's just coming up to 20 to 4. We've got the habitat regulations assessment to deal with. Um, I think a lot of that's probably been resolved with the statement of common ground, so we'll probably fall short on that a little bit. We probably need to run through a few points. And then the other matters, I'm, I'm happy to take them as read if nobody's got any particular points. Um, and then we've got duty to cooperate and presumption in favour of sustainable development. We need a little break up between matter one and two to reorganise the tables because there's lots of people then probably wanting to go. I'm just wondering about having just a five-minute break now just to give everybody a bit of a comfort break. We've been going for a while and then come back and um, do the habitat regs and the other matters and then have a slightly longer break then before duty to cooperate. If people want to leave now, if they're not, you know, they don't want to listen to any of the points on the habitat regs or other matters, then that's absolutely fine. I realise it's been quite a long day for people. Um, so yes, it's, it's 20 to now, just past 20. To, so if we come back just after quarter to, um, I'll just let you stretch your legs five minutes.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 The, uh, the HRA and also the, um, primarily on the, the HRA and the, also the implications of Hatfield Forest, but I, I will uh, not go into detail on that as we're dealing with HRA at the moment. Um, the Habitats Regulation Assessment for, um, for our local plan, um, there is an, an updated version yes. appended to uh, uh, the hearing statements for um, the uh, European protected sites uh, that are impacted or potentially impacted by development uh, from the local plan they, these are Epping Forest and um, the Blackwater uh, Estuary and uh, the, um, the work undertaken on the recreational impacts and air quality impacts on Epping Forest has identified that there is a negligible impact from development in Uttlesford on Epping Forest, although um, there, there's further work to be done in, in monitoring, uh, monitoring in the future. The uh, impact on the Blackwater estuary is um, a zone of influence has been drawn which clips Uttlesford in the south-east south part of the district. Um, 
primarily uh, within Felsted Parish and the, the council is working on a supplementary planning document along with all the other uh, authorities covered by this zone of influence which is seeking um, uh, money from development on a per household basis to mitigate the impacts on the, uh, on the European protected site. Discussions with Natural England in developing the statement of common ground, um, they have indicated that they're comfortable with the, um, with the approach taken and with the updated HRA and Arthur can, uh, can uh, have his say in a little bit. Um, so that's the, that's the Statement of Common Ground with relation to the HRA. Do you want me to talk about non-HRA points in the Statement of Common Ground as well or, or not? Um, no, I think we'll leave with, with the HRA because I think we're dealing with sort of legal compliance things today. I noticed some of the areas of disagreement. They're about policy wording and we were just chatting. I think probably some of that's we can deal with when we come to the development management policies as well because even though we're dealing with strategic policies at the moment we can sort of readdress that, that when we're looking at the DM policies and decide where the best place for that wording is and I think um, Historic England have got some similar issues with policy wording and whether you know whether it's right to replicate things in various policies or whether it's better just in a, a generic DM policy um, so I think we can probably leave that if you're happy with that approach and um, is Natural England happy with that? We've yes, seen that's right. Concerns we've, and we've said the, the, the bulk of the relatively sort of smaller areas of disagreement um, that remain um, in our written reps. So happy for that to be left with yourselves for Thank those you. sessions. Yes, yeah, so that'll be uh, obviously some some, dis some time in the future when we get to that stage. Mm -hmm. And you know, maybe that you want to come to the table again at that stage. We don't know when those will be yet, but. Uh, to discuss the more detailed policy wording that you're probably more interested in. Um, but I don't think that's really for today. We're looking at the sort of higher level okay. strategic points. Um, so just looking at the agenda, um, the first point we had got on the agenda was have the council complied with the requirement of the conservation habitats and species regulations with regards to habitat regulations assessment. The council have obviously provided a statement setting that out. I'm happy to take that as read unless anybody's got any particular concerns. I think most people were generally happy with the habitat regs bit. Um, and then it, the next bit is about uh, likely environmental, social and economic effects of the plan adequately and accurately assessed in terms of habitat regulation assessments. And, um, and then in response to our initial question regarding HRA, the council said that HRA has been updated and we've got an update from that. That's a sort of outdated question almost. Uh, now that's been overtaken by events. Um. Adam, you will have no doubt picked up in our, uh, I think our matters statement that in terms of seven, the phraseology of it, obviously you will have picked up that habitat regulations doesn't look directly at social and economic no, issues. No, I but did. It's, it's an essay a, kind yeah, of yeah, exactly. Point, but but that's, yeah. I said, that's just a matter of uh, form, but uh, clearly the, uh, uh, the uh, substantive environmental issue that relates to the habitat regs has been dealt with and I'm not aware that there's any significant objections now there's work obviously ongoing and, and it seems as though that we have a good relationship and that work will continue which is always I think it's always better to deal with these things outside of the examination arena wherever possible and come to agreements and things and just bring 
finer points that are left to the examination. It's, it's much better if we can do things that way. Yes, but perhaps just to clarify one or two items. Yes. So we're, we're happy with the policy wording in the Statement of Common Ground for the Essex, uh, called the Essex RAM strategic solution. Yeah. Um, just an, an update, I suppose, on the um, situation with Epping Forest, uh, SAC. Um, Natural England, since providing the written representations, has attended the Epping Forest examination in public of their local plan um, and just really I suppose to supersede to a point what we've said so far um, we, we were not able to agree this, at, at Epping Forest's uh, examination with uh, Epping's um, conclusion of their HRA in relation to air quality and recreational impacts. Um, this links to um, the current lack of a mitigation strategy for air quality impacts. Um, now, at the present time, we are awaiting the inspector's report on those matters, um, such that we, uh, I suppose, strictly speaking, um, can't currently agree that Ottlesford's contribution to that will be negligible as, as I think we have currently um, stated in our written representations. So we, we just have to await the inspector's um, decision on how they want to take that forward. Okay. But it's appropriate I think for us to say that that may overtake some of our previous comments um, on that uh, on, a, on a sort of strict sense. And it sounds as, when, do you know when the report's due roughly? Is that... 12th of July. So, yeah, that's right. similar so to it'll all be dealt with well within the confines of this examination. It might be worth me just, just clarifying, because Mr. Buster wasn't directly involved in the, the hearings, and I was, I was involved in that. Um, there were various points that were indeed raised. Uh, I think there's an important thing to bear in mind with regard to Uttlesford, though, which is that, as Mr. Buster said, the main uh, reasons for uh, disagreement at that examination were with regard to uh, the mitigation strategy that Epping Forest District Council is proposing for, it, for its yes. contribution uh, and also some technical matters that I won't go through into in detail because you won't be interested but they are to do with conversion factors between NOx and nitrogen uh, and how those conversions were done and, and matters of detail there. Those are all a step further on though from the assessment that we undertook with regard to uh, dismissing the in-combination effects of Uttlesford, Harlow and East Hearts collectively. Um, so while I understand that Natural England will come back with whatever they come back with following the, the 12th of July, my expectation is that nothing that stems out of further work that is done in that area should affect the conclusions with regard to Harlow, East Hearts and Uttlesford, particularly Uttlesford. Um, putting it simply, uh, our modelling indicates, and, and the basic essence of our modelling is not disputed by, by Natural England, that approximately 99% of all the additional pollution in Epping Forest on the modelled roads will be stemming from growth within the Epping Forest local plan. Uh, growth elsewhere, everywhere else, in combination, will be contributing about 1%, and Uttlesford will be a tiny fraction of that 1%. Right. So you're talking about a tiny fraction of a tiny fraction, which uh, I think 
which is not unsurprising. Uh, less than 5% of people who live in Uttlesford travel to Epping Forest District for journeys to work. Uh, the vast majority of people who do that don't need to cross Epping Forest because there's nowhere in Epping Forest District that you can't get to from Uttlesford without going through uh, the SAC. Uh, and the nearest significant settlement in Uttlesford to Epping Forest SAC is Great Dunmo, which is almost 30 kilometres away. Uh, so effectively the contribution of Uttlesford's local plan to changes in traffic flows on the model road links is virtually zero. It's literally a few AADTs uh, and I don't think that any conclusion will change based upon and those, the further those work points that can be picked up through any sort of main modifications to do with policy or SPDs and things by the sounds of it that in terms of the works being done for Epping Forest yes, yes. I mean, it, will, it will obviously depend on how the inspector wants to yes to but that's well within the time scale for this plan to deal with yes. Yes. Uh, I would imagine it would be well within the time scale for yes. this plan so that can be sort of work that goes on in the background and we can, if yes. necessary we can come back and have another session at some point to deal with that if there's a particular issue. Absolutely, Madam. I was just going to make, the, in a sense, the general point that so far as the habitat regulations assessment requirements are concerned, again, strictly they only have to be complied with before the council adopts the plan. Yes. So the fact that things might still be slightly outstanding at the moment isn't a legal compliance issue. It's a matter that can be dealt with during the course yes. of the examination. The time scale of the examination, yes. It doesn't sound like anything to particularly worry about. Him. Okay, did you want to say anything else? Mr. Yes, so broadly happy with the comments there. Uh, there's just one other item to mention, um, which links for the HRA with the, the Stansted Airport policy. Um, now, we, we um, were not able to attend that particular session, but um, just to summarise briefly, um, that the policy is, is currently uh, set out, um, in our opinion, doesn't make adequate provision for the natural environment. We've, we've set out the comments there in our written reps, but um, th the main issue for us is that um, uh, that policy needs to, to recognise that um, uh, there is, um, there is a, a, a baseline that's set out within the um, Stansted Airport planning application that we had some concerns with their appropriate assessment for that. And we just wanted the, uh, yourselves to be aware that we had some reservations about that this is set out in our uh, responses to the planning application. Um, but for those reasons, it's important that the policy includes recognition of strategic concerns around air quality that, for the purpose of the HABS regs, are linked to Epping Forest and the in-combination assessment, um, but also um, particularly are linked to uh, Hatfield Forest, SSSI and National Nature Reserve, um, and the importance of um, ongoing ground truth um, survey and monitoring um, in recognition of the current uh, air quality exceedances at that site. So we have ongoing concerns with um, expansion um, at Stansted Airport um, that, that need to be essentially future-proof within the policy, in our opinion. It's noted that the policy doesn't specify um, quantum of, of growth, but it does broadly support I think um, airport development and, and as such needs to have some protective measures built into it that in our view as a strategic matter would best sit within that policy rather than in a general environmental uh, policy. Right. Okay, I'll bear that in mind when we speak about when it in the week after next that is, isn't it, on the session. Thank you. Yeah. 
Thank you. Does anybody want to say anything else on habitat regs? No. Okay, I think we've... Did you want to say anything else? Very briefly, I was just going to touch on that point, um, just to explain, and I think they've already set it out. The, the Council obviously says that they feel that the, the policy framework is sufficient. Firstly, uh, the Stansted Expansion Policy, SP11, specifically states that sustainable growth of London Stansted Airport will be supported in principle. So by definition, an expansion proposal that would have an adverse effect on a European site would not be compliant policy because it would not be, could not possibly be described as sustainable. Secondly, such a proposal would not be compliant with policy EN8, and the plan has, to be looked at, a plan has to be looked at as a whole, of course, which is protecting and enhancing the natural environment, which explicitly states that proposals that would adversely affect a European site would be refused. Um, all that said, obviously, uh, there is a suggestion that's been made for changes to policy wording. That is something you will consider in the course of the examination. Uh, and if, if you felt strongly changes should be made to policy, I don't imagine the Council would strongly object. So uh, it's really a matter for you now to decide whether or not you feel that the suggested changes are indeed required. I don't think there's any technical dispute. It's purely over those wording. Uh, yeah, where, where that requirement is covered and whether it's adequately covered in the general policy or whether it needs something in SP11. I think that's the gist of it, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, that takes us on to the next point on the agenda, which is other matters. Um, and it's a kind of, I suppose these were in the MIQs, really, sort of all little bits and pieces um, that the Council have dealt with. I haven't got any other questions on it. I'm not aware that anybody particularly raised any comments on it, or not things that have already been dealt with earlier in the day in terms of Mr. Warren, is it? Um, Ma'am, are you you're dealing with numbers 9 through 13? Uh, or just with 9? Uh, I think we'll just deal with them all to, because yeah. I don't think there's going to be a, a very short point on so 11. I think if anybody's got any, we'll just yeah. deal with it in the round. And, yes. May I deal with the point of 11? This, this is something Which we have objected to <laughs> on this occasion. Um, yes, it's, it's a point about. I think the question here, or the issue that you've raised on the agenda today, is very slightly different from the formulation that we've got in our I response under this point. It doesn't particularly matter, but I'd, I think it, we still would like to raise the point that we've made in our representations about the need as we see it for the plan to define the geographic extent of Eastern Park if it is to be allocated obviously it has ramifications for other allocations as well but certainly in relation to Eastern Park um, to identify with precision on the policies map where the allocation lies including um, third party land which may be necessary to provide the linkages for transportation and green infrastructure, as we said in our representations. We think that's pretty important, not just for clarity of the plan and the allocation, future planning applications, but also potentially for CPO if that's required for the link to the airport and so on. So that was the first point. And, and out of the new wording, ma'am, in your question 11 today, um, tying up, if I can paraphrase it, the um, policies map references to policies of the policies themselves, we would strongly support that. Yeah, and the council um, have come back with some suggestions. Absolutely. We would strongly support that and, and um, for, for all sorts of reasons, not least were there to be any main modifications. You've probably seen that recent Jopling case in the High Court yeah. where there was a bit of a mismatch between the, the modifications process and the need to consult on yeah. the policies map. So yeah. we, for that reason, amongst others, we would support that as well. Thank, Thank you. you. Does the council want to comment on that point about it sort of being a, a fuzzy kind of indicative line. I mean, it's kind of, yeah, you sort of see where it is, but I realise at the moment it's... Um, 
So, yeah, the, there's the, the point of the fuzzy line, um, which I think in one of our responses to matter seven or eight, we, we indicate yes. that we think that's appropriate given the further work on the development plan documents, which will seek to refine the developable area. Um, on the, the other point, which I think Mr. Warren was making, which was the, the actual site boundary for um, Eastern Park, I mean, unless you want to discuss that now, I would have thought that would be better discussed under the matter. Yeah, and I think we'll have a bit more time then to discuss it more fully, and there'll be other people at the table that might want to... Um, to I can't remember whether that's a question on that matter. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, uh, I, is it not? I think, yes, because at the end I always sort of, if there are any other matters, but it might be useful when there's other people around the table discussing that. And so we'll have a little bit more. I know Stop Eastern Park have, have left for the day, so I'm, I'm sure they would want to discuss the site boundary. Yes, and it's something we probably need to go away and think about as well once we've heard what, what people have said. So. Are there any other comments somebody wants to make on all those random sort of bits at the end? No? Okay, so what we're going to do now, we need to have a, a break of about 15 minutes, Louise? Uh, ten. 10 minutes, just to allow um, us to rejig the table so that um, the people to speak on, on the next matters are kind of at the front because there's not as many people speaking on that. Um, if people don't want to stop, feel free to go. It's been a long day. Uh, we won't be offended. <laughs> and um, We may see some of you again tomorrow or um, the week after next. Okay, so thank you for your contribution if anybody's now deciding to leave.
Okay, if everyone's back, we're going to resume with um, matter two, which is the duty to cooperate. So the aim of this session is to examine whether the plan complies with the relevant legal requirements. It's in particular to determine whether the council has engaged constructively, actively and on an ongoing basis with neighbouring authorities and other relevant organisations on cross-boundary issues in respect of the duty to cooperate. So whilst engagement with local residents and other groups is obviously important, the duty to cooperate um, and discussions under this matter relate particularly to the strategic matters only and the legal compliance with that. Um, the Council has provided a duty to cooperate compliance statement. Um, I haven't got the reference to hand, you might have. 203.1, thank you. Um, it's also provided a response to our initial question number four, which asked if there were any significant concerns expressed by interested parties about whether the Council has complied with the duty to cooperate. Um, so the, the questions in the MRQ are split between housing and employment. Um, you'll also find that they're slightly different on the agenda because we added a couple, um, so the numbering is, is a bit out, but we'll try and deal with that as we go. Um, the main additional question asked is regarding the London boroughs um, and how their needs have been taken into account, which you probably will have seen. Um, I'm going to ask the council to briefly outline your responses to the questions on the agenda, if that's okay, um, then ask others around the table and then as we have done this morning, really, and this afternoon, come back to the Council for their, for their views. So, if we start with question one, which is, what are the genuinely strategic matters identified by section 33A4 of the, of the Act? Um, they are summarising your statement. Would you mind just doing that for everyone's benefit? Of course not. Um, this, uh, as the Council's statement says in paragraph 1.2, uh, the YouTube cooperate statement in uh, paragraph 2.37 summarises the overarching strategic cross-boundary matters. Uh, in section 4, the report sets out the strategic planning priorities for the district and in appendix 1, it sets out the strategic planning issues and summarises the issues and any actions associated with them. Um, it should be noted, as the, as the statement notes, that uh, the duty to cooperate statement and our um, uh, relationships and actions with the duty to cooperate bodies has gone beyond what, the, what we consider the genuinely strategic matters are, um, and we ha don't have, believe there are any outstanding matters from the duty to cooperate partners. Okay. I don't think anybody had any issues with, with that question in any case. So if we, if we move to, to question two, which is about, we're on to the housing questions now. Um, how has the council engaged with, in terms of overall housing provision, and what form has this taken? Now, could you perhaps just talk us through, I know there's a, um, you've established a Cooperation for Sustainable Development Board, mirrored by an officer board um, or group, um, which has also produced a number of memorandums of understanding which, which everyone will have seen. Um, can you just explain a bit the role of that group, how, when it was established, how often it meets? Uh, yes. Um, so in terms of when it was established, I think it was around 2015, um, although I, I, I don't know that for certain. Um, 
it's, it's been going since I joined the council. <laughs> um, but I joined the council in 2017. Um, in terms of how often it meets, it meets... Um, the last meeting was a few months ago, and it is a uh, fairly regular meeting of every couple of months at the moment. Um, a year or so ago, it, it was meeting more frequently, it, but that was because of the work that was going on at that time and the, the stage where everyone was at. Now everyone's at examination, apart from East Hertfordshire. Um, uh, think things have kind of moved on. In, term, in terms of how it works, there, there is, as you said, an, an officer-level meeting, which is the meeting which happens every couple of months or so, um, and then a member board, which meets uh, slightly more infrequently. Um, I think there was a meeting recently within the last month or so, but prior to that, the last meeting was in September. Um, the, the member board is the, the decision-making uh, part of the, the, the group, uh, through the um, representatives from the various councils. I don't know if that helps. Yes, thank you. I don't think anybody had any particular questions on that. No. So, question three was, what are the interrelationships with the other authorities in terms of migration, commuting and housing markets? Would you like to respond on that or, or explain that or should... I don't know if it might be better just to ask if anybody's got any particular issues. No? No. So in terms of the housing questions then, which run from 2 to 8, no, further than that, 2 to, to, to 4 on the agenda. 10, I think. It's confusing. Yeah, they're all over the place. <laughs> yeah. On my agenda, it's 2 to 10, which is yeah. all about the questions about housing provision. Does anybody around the table want to, and could they tell me which particular question they're looking to speak on? Yes. Mom, thank you. Victoria Hampton, Great Chesterford Parish Council. Um, I suppose these comments fit into question 10, which is the most general. We <laughs> <laughs> should just chew on the question minute. 10. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so, as you'll have seen from our um, Regulation 19 consultation and also our, our hearing statement, our concern goes to the cooperation, effectiveness of cooperation with South Cambridgeshire and also with uh, Historic England. Um, and I make these points both in relation to the statutory duty under Section 33A, 4A of the Planning Compulsory Purchase Act, but also uh, the test of soundness under the MPPF, so the, particularly the effectiveness of the plan, which is the plan should be deliverable over its period and based on effective joint working on cross-boundary strategic priorities. So uh, here, the um, allocation of uh, North Oxford Garden Community uh, and the provision of 5,000 houses flush on the border uh, with South, uh, South Cambridgeshire clearly, we would say, fulfills the definition uh, of a cross-boundary issue. And indeed, if one looks at the SA, paragraph 5.6, it specifically states that the areas of search uh, were selected precisely on the basis of their potential to contribute to effective cross-boundary strategic planning uh, priorities. Uh, so clearly a need to, to uh, comply with the duty to cooperate with uh, South Cambridgeshire. Um, we say there has not been adequate uh, cooperation. If one goes to the meeting notes, uh, document 303.1, there's no evidence there of any uh, consultation or cooperation with South Cambridgeshire 
over the areas of search uh, or the location of the proposal. The discussion in those meeting notes centres around traffic impact and modelling uh, of, a of a decision already taken. Now, the duty to cooperate uh, statement at paragraph 3.31 uh, relies on the fact that South Cambridgeshire were consulted and commented in relation uh, to Regulation 18 uh, consultation. But that's not good enough because otherwise why bother with the duty to cooperate over and above and quite separate from the consultation that has to happen at Regulation 18 uh, and Regulation 19. So it appears there's just been simply no cooperation on the principle and location of uh, North Uttlesford. Uh, and, it, and it's clear that there are a significant number of issues outstanding uh, between um, South Cambridgeshire and, uh, and this local authority. Um, and in particular, we'd highlight again those cumulative impact points in regards to the welcome genome proposals uh, and the, the agri-hub proposals in terms of both landscape and transport impacts. And so we say there hasn't been constructive, active and ongoing cooperation uh, with uh, South Cambridgeshire, which is the statutory test, or, effectively, or effective joint working, uh, which is the policy test. And then uh, on Historic England, we would simply echo the concerns that Historic England have put into their matter statement, uh, in particular with regards to North Uttlesford uh, Garden Community Again, they've been very clear of their strong objection to the site and that alternatives should be sought. But again, there doesn't seem to, there's no indication of cooperation with Historic England in relation to the principle of the location of the development. Um, so it's not just a point where, okay, there's disagreement, because of course there can be disagreement, but the duty can be complied with. Uh, but it's a point about not cooperating over the principle at the material point in time uh, at which North Uttlesford uh, entered the plan. Um, and then, as we've already stated today, there's been no consideration of reasonable alternatives uh, to uh, NUGC, and uh, in those circumstances, there hasn't been constructive engagement uh, with Historic England or indeed effective joint working uh, with them. So, again, the statutory test and the policy test being breached there. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask the council to respond on that before I come back to anybody else. Can we just deal with that on its own? If I, could I just start with dealing with the legal point and then Mr. Miles can yes. deal with the actual the engagement uh, issue. Um, and there is a distinction uh, in my submission uh, between uh, what you might think in relation to um, South Cambridgeshire and what you might think in relation to uh, historic England. Both of those bodies are, in, in the jargon, duty to cooperate partners. And so historic England is a prescribed body under the 2012 regulations that one would have to engage with on duty to cooperate matters. But, uh, as we, I think we set out at paragraph 1.1 of our matter uh, to statement, it reminds you of the terms of section 33A subsection 4 of the 2004 Act, which includes uh, the definition of strategic matters. Uh, and strategic matters essentially in very simple terms, certain things, county matters, you know, minerals, waste, things like that, we can put that on one side for this purpose, but it, it's really the A uh, test 
sustainable development or the use of land that has or would have a significant impact on at least two planning areas, including in particular sustainable development use of land for or in connection with infrastructure that is strategic and has or would have a significant impact on at least two planning areas. Now, potentially, there could be issues in relation to uh, matters of concern to South Cambridgeshire, which potentially could give rise to duty cooperate matters, and therefore there ought to be proper engagement with them, and then there ought to be an outcome from that, uh, 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 and so on. And Mr. Mars can deal with that. But the short point I make is that duty to cooperate partner, albeit that they have some issues, don't see the issues as being matters which give rise to any failure of the duty to cooperate. What they are are issues that go to the soundness of, 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 of the, the various policy choices that have been made, and we're obviously happy uh, to explore them in that context. The position with historic England, though, is, is even more removed from that, because try as one might, and valiantly as Miss Hutton uh, no doubt would, the issue that's of concern to historic England is simply not an issue which gives rise to a significant impact on at least two planning areas. Their concern is the treatment of the historic assets within Uttlesford and how they will be impacted by the proposed development at North Uttlesford Garden Community. That's not a cross-boundary issue at all. So notwithstanding that Historic England is a duty to cooperate partner, the actual issues that the plan gives rise to that are of concern to Historic England are not issues that engage the duty to cooperate in this instance. So notwithstanding that we don't agree with Historic England on some of those matters, again, that's a soundness point. It just doesn't even get onto the blocks, so far as we're concerned, in terms of duty to cooperate. And Historic England's own representations, uh, although they sort of merge towards a DTC point, they don't actually make a DTC point. So uh, it's, it's very interesting to know what uh, the parish council thinks about that. But in reality, uh, it, it's a non-point. So the, can I then just go back to the position with South Cambridgeshire and, and Mr. Mars can talk about the actual engagement and the outcomes and processes of that? Because that, I think, in principle, it's capable of engaging the duty to cooperate. Thank you. Um, yes, so we have met South Cambridgeshire District Council on a number of occasions over the last uh, two years and, and beyond and before. Um, in doing so, we have sought to engage with the points that they have raised on, the, on our local plan and to make the, help them understand the, the justification we've made. And we have also undertaken additional work um, for example, um, at, at their request, we did some additional transport modelling of um, the impact of the local plan on junctions in South Cambridgeshire. We undertook an initial um, feasibility study looking at the uh, what potential, um, potential improvements you could do to the A505, again, a, as a result of representations they have made. Um, we have engaged with them and sought to address their, the problems they have arisen, they have arisen, they have raised um, throughout the process and on an ongoing basis and we believe 
and, and as they do, as they have not made a representation to the contrary, that the duty to cooperate has been met. Okay, thank you. So, Mr. Berman, you had your card up next. My name is Roger Behrman. I represent the owners of site reference 03GTHAL15. That is a site within one mile of the centre of Bishop Stortford. I will speak about the specifics of that site at a later date. My comments are generally about sites, potential sites around Bishop Stortford but within the Uttlesford area. The Council have acknowledged that there is an elevated risk around the delivery of West Braintree Garden community. We have expressed our concern in previous written representations that insufficient cooperation between Uttlesford and East Hearts District Council has been undertaken and the opportunities that surround Bishop Stortford have been too easily dismissed. The largest town immediately adjacent to West Essex with already long established main railway connections, bus and coach services, close proximity to Stansted Airport, the shortest driving distance to Junction 8 and strongly established infrastructure has virtually been sidelined and ignored. Uttlesford have an opportunity to bolt on smaller developments around Bishop Stortford which can be brought to completion in a relatively short period of time. I hope you can recognise this opportunity and urge the Council to consider them with East Hearts. Thank you. Thank you. Can I have a response in, on East Hearts in particular? Thank you, ma'am. Um, I would like to direct you to the Council's response to initial question four, um, in which uh, we... I, well, the question was, have any significant concerns been expressed by interested parties about whether the Council complied with the duty to cooperate in the preparation of the plan? Um, uh, the, and appended to that is an email from the um, Planning Policy Manager at East Hertfordshire dated 14th of February in which they confirm that they do not have a duty to cooperate issue with, the, um, with us notwithstanding the fact that they do have, uh, they do have representations about sites in, in the Greenbelt and within Uttlesford, but I, uh, yes, but if we're not dealing with Greenbelt, we're dealing with duty to cooperate. Okay. So that's an appendix to your answer to question four, the email. That's correct, yes. yes. Thank you. That's back in February, yes. those earlier initial questions. I think we didn't repeat that. I think we've, we made a cross-reference to it in our matter two statement, but um, I'd say it's... Um, it was the initial question. It was yeah. the original question, yeah. Thank you. You... Yeah. Sorry, can you just say your yeah, name? Yeah, I can. Uh, Mark Barrett from the Home Builders Federation. Thank you, uh, thank you all. Um, in terms of our... Our key concern, especially around uh, the duty to cooperate, is around actually how the, uh, the local authority has gone about um, 
examining the issues of cross-band issues with London in terms of housing delivery. It's, we are aware of 10,000 homes um, uh, per annum that are uh, 10,000 homes as part of the London, London plan that will not be met. Um, so there are unmet needs of, of an area and a significant area which adjoin uh, the housing market area. So we recognise that the District Council doesn't adjoin uh, London boroughs, but the HMA within which it, 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 it rests does um, uh, abut the London Councils and the um, GLA. I'm concerned that actually the level of engagement that is, uh, or the level of cooperation that has occurred is negligible between the, those authorities, recognising that there are um, there will be difficulties moving forward in terms of delivery of, of housing needs uh, as part of the new London plan, but there are also um, levels of delivery that haven't been delivered in the past that, that come forward. So there hasn't been that level of, of consideration that you'd expect within um, uh, an area such as Uttlesford and with their partners in the HMA with those uh, London boroughs in terms of looking at the cross-boundary issues. Um, I think there will be issues tomorrow that will come on to, and I don't really want to rehash those arguments uh, now because obviously it's, it's a different session um, with regard to how those should impact on the considerations moving forward into OAN and looking at housing needs and, and whether there are um, aspects that should have been further considered as part of that and maybe as, uh, uh, jointly with the London boroughs to say actually what are these issues going to be. Uh, on the whole, looking at, around those authorities that, that prepare plans around London, there tends to be, um, we'll turn our back on London and London will turn our back on us and, and, and we'll, we won't address any of these issues. And I think that's where our concerns rise, is that uh, if no one is looking to address some of these uh, unmet needs and identified unmet needs by the GLA uh, from London, then it will, it will never happen. And I just don't think there has been that effective engagement that has allowed those cooperation, that cooperation to happen and for those matters to be effectively considered by local authorities. Recognise the difficulty between a regional body and all those, other, those local authorities around, which it is a difficult issue. But it's one that really needs to be grasped. And I think at the moment, and I think this is symptomatic of many authorities, that has just hasn't grasped that, that issue through the duty to cooperate. Okay, can I ask the council to respond? Thank you. Um, I would like to direct you to paragraphs 3.22 and 3.23 of the council's duty to cooperate statement, uh, in which we set out the representations received from the Greater London Authority to a very high-level summary of the uh, representations received from the Greater London Authority to the draft Regulation 18 local plan, which were then repeated by GLA for the Reg 19 plan. They, in those representations, did not raise concern about unmet need um, for which Uttlesford would uh, either have to or be requested to, to make a contribution towards. Um, yes, thank you. Okay, for my benefit, can you describe how that contact took place and is it, is it, just, is it writing to them, the GLA as one body? Yes, it is that was, that's outlining? It's outlining formal representation processes, yes. Okay. And I, it just perhaps helpful by way of the kind of the wider context. Um, as you know from our uh, um, matter two statement as uh, set out at uh, paragraph um, 5.1 and 5.2. 5.1 makes the point uh, that none of the 
um, HMA partners or authorities outside of the HMA made requests for unmet need to be met. And that, that is the, uh, the current position. But 5.2 is interesting in that it notes that at an earlier stage of the process, there was a request from Epping Forest, which gives you the reference to the document mm. there, and then there's a reply from the council to that, making it clear it, due to its constraints it wasn't able to assist. The, re the reason for referring uh, to that is, is simply this, that you may uh, be aware some of the case law on duty to cooperate. Uh, one of the cases, the Test Valley uh, case, uh, where there was an issue about effectively Test Valley being unable to meet all of their affordable housing need within their district. Uh, and one of the grounds of challenge uh, that was being levelled uh, to the adoption of their plan, which was said to be a breach of the duty to cooperate, was, well, they hadn't asked the adjoining districts, well, could you help us out with our unmet uh, affordable housing need? Uh, and the inspector concluded, effectively, the duty to cooperate is a duty to be practical, and you don't ask questions to which you know what the obvious answer is going to be. And in that particular case, the context was that the adjacent districts had their own affordable housing pressures, which meant that there was, they couldn't meet their own needs, so there was no way they were going to be able to meet uh, um, the, uh, the Test Valley needs. So there wasn't actually a need for Test Valley to ask, as it were, a pointless question, which was going to end up with a, an obvious answer. Now, in this context, we know what the position is as between Epping Forest and Uttlesford, which is that Epping Forest had asked and Uttlesford is unable to assist with that. Uh, one doesn't obviously know quite what the thinking of the Great London Authority was, but they were consulted on the plan, and they have clearly formed the view that there is no expectation on their part that they want to make any requests to Uttlesford uh, for uh, any assistance, and that's part of the wider context, and certainly you, you can't conclude, notwithstanding what the HBF uh, uh, surmise, you can't conclude that this is a case where the duty to cooperate would require uh, anything more than the process which has been undertaken, which has shown that there is no request from the relevant body. Did you want to come back? You think you? I, I think there is a general principle of, of turning back on, on anything where there is uh, no request for, for uh, assistance rather than recognising there are actual impacts of, of uh, an under-delivery of housing within a certain area and unmet needs in a certain area. And I think you have to look at what uh, the strategic and cross-boundary matters are between an area and other areas and seek to look and address those and consider those as part of the plan. I think there's um, a general lack of cooperation when it comes to these issues and it is a, a turning our back on uh, um, unmet need where, where it does exist and there's very few authorities that seek to go forward and address that, those matters. I think it, it, the duty should go beyond uh, uh, and it is incumbent on local authorities to go beyond that just asking of consultation and it, I think the PPG does say it's not just a matter of consultation 
it is a matter of engagement and, and moving beyond just mere asking questions and, and, and receiving responses and requests. It is about actual physical cooper, uh, actual cooperation and seeing actually how can you address those issues and outcomes that will address those issues. What we have here is London who won't be able to meet that needs. That will impact on, on migration. That will see increases uh, levels of migration. And that will impact on, on Uttlesford in terms of the number of people that are moving through either from Epping Forest into Uttlesford and that, that general outflow of, uh, of people. And I think that has to be a consideration with the, within the plan and it's something that hasn't been a consideration. So there isn't that consideration of what the impact is and then an outcome that would seek to address, and, 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 uh, address that issue. Thank you. Did you have anything to add or should I just going to move around? Okay. So if there's no other questions on the House... Oh, sorry. Sorry, Mum. I, I was going to respond earlier uh, to Mr. Bedford, but I just want to check my references so I can just give a brief response. I, I note that there was no response from the Council uh, which supported any engagement with South Cams on the principle of the location of North Uttlesford Garden Community. Um, with regards to Historic England, the reason I wanted to wait and check my references is that I was surprised to hear that the case was being made that essentially, well, there's no need to cooperate with Historic England on North Uttlesford uh, because I, I think the point that's being made is, is that there isn't a historic asset uh, issue that straddles the boundary at that point. But if one looks at the, uh, at the sections of 33A of the Planning Compulsory Purchase Act, um, I'm sorry, this is going to be a bit dry, but here it is. Um, each person who is, a, who is a local planning authority must cooperate with every other person who is in paragraphs A, B or C or subsection 9 in maximising the effectiveness which activities within subsection 3 are, are undertaken. Now, uh, the bodies which are prescribed um, under uh, paragraph uh, subsection 1C are in... Um, uh, regulation 4 of the Local Planning England regulations and that includes uh, Historic England and it makes no qualification there it doesn't say for example Historic England but only in relation to assets which travel borders um, it, it simply lists them as one of the prescribed bodies so going back to section uh, 33A uh, we see at subsection 2 that the duty is to engage constructively actively on an ongoing basis uh, in any process by means of which activities within subsection 3 are undertaken and to have regard to activities of a person within subsection 9, which includes Historic England, so far as they're relevant to activities within subsection 3. Now, the activity with which we are concerned... Yeah, um, the activity with which we are concerned in subsection 3 is the preparation of development plan documents. No, that is not accurate. You need to read the whole of subsection 3... It says, insofar as it relates to a strategic, a strategic matter, which is then defined, and I took the inspectors to the definition of strategic matter at the outset, which is why it's necessary to show something which has a cross-border impact. It should be clear that I'm going through the entire regulation, and, and four comes after three, so I'm coming on to that. Um, so we get subsection three. The activities in the subsection are the preparation of development plan documents so far as relating to a strategic matter. And then subsection 4, for the purposes of subsection 3, each of the following is a, is a strategic matter. For A, sustainable development or use of land that has or would have a significant impact on at least two planning areas. 
uh, including in particular sustainable development or use of land for or in connection with infrastructure that is strategic and has or would have a significant impact on at least two planning areas. We know here that North Oxford, there doesn't seem to be any dispute, will have a um, significant impact on at least two planning areas. There is no qualification in Section 33A that states, will you only consult with, for example, Historic England or Natural England or any of the other prescribed bodies so far as their interest uh, relates to that cross-border. The issue under the regulations are, is it a strategic matter and the location of North Oxford is a strategic matter? Um, is it involved in one of the activities listed in subsection 3? It is. Um, and therefore, there is a duty to cooperate with the prescribed bodies, which include Historic England. So, uh, well, you have my submission, you have Mr. Bedford's submission, um, but, it, it, but I would state it's absolutely clear from the regulation that there is no qualification uh, and there is no uh, exemption from uh, cooperating effectively with Historic England. But even if I am wrong on that, then it goes to a question of soundness and effectiveness in terms of that definition. So I, I don't say I'm wrong, I say I'm right, but uh, even if I am wrong, one can't get away from the need to uh, engage constructively with Historic England because it is part of the soundness test as well as the statutory test. Okay, thank you. I think it's fair to say we'll have a close look at the Act and the regs on, yes. that, on that point then. I'm, 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 I'm quite content, and I, I wasn't trying to, I, I think, in any way say that the issue raised by natural, sorry, historic England isn't an issue in terms of the merits, and obviously one's got to engage with that in terms of soundness, but we're not dealing with soundness. This session is dealing with a, a very dry issue of the duty to cooperate, and the duty to cooperate is actually very tightly drawn, and that's why I'm afraid I was taking it. It is a legalistic point, but it's a legalistic point which needs to be understood in the way that the regulations and the Act work. And, uh, well, I've made those submissions. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So in terms of the housing question, has anybody got anything else? Or shall we move on to the... Um, Jobs, growth and employment land provision. So on the agenda, that's the questions 11 to 14. So does anybody have any, anything to say on those, on those particular questions here today? Right, okay. Shall we start with Mr Dixon? Oh dear. I, think I have to. Now. It's the end of the day. We've <laughs> got a limited life, I think. No, I'm very impressed because we didn't inquire in here recently and we had about four people struggling to make these work. Oh, really? So I'm going to shout. I don't think that's working. It might be worth. Just try one more. This one works. Okay. Oh, there we go. There's a few people at the back, so it's probably. Sorry, the reason for doing that is because there's an audio, and I don't think it would pick it up if Mr. Dixon merely shouted. So, I, I sure. I, thank you. I have one that works. Um, I, I shall use it. Um, Can you tell me which question you're answering, if it's a particular one? If not, it's fine. We'll just put it against all of them. I will. I think it comes under question 14. Right. So, what I was going to say um, before I was rudely interrupted by the microphones um, was that if you had any contributors behind me that wanted to make 
submissions on any of the other questions, I'm happy to wait until they've gone, or I'm happy to go. I, I think it's fine. We'll just, okay. I think most people are going to skip to 14 if, if housing was anything to go by. So. Okay, in that case, thank you. Um, in their opening, the council mentioned that there were no outstanding duty to cooperate matters. Mr Bedford then referenced, after his colleague referenced, um, the council's duty to cooperate statement and the council's response to your initial questions that East Hearts planning policy manager had confirmed that uh, East Hearts believed Uttlesford had complied with their duty to cooperate obligations, had fulfilled their duty, I think was the phrase that was used. Having had a look at that email again, I'm going to um, just read you what it says and then I'm going to go through uh, the other points I wish to make and um, don't worry, I won't be that long. The email from East Hearts, or the email from Uttlesford to East Hearts um, following your question to Uttlesford says, I'm paraphrasing slightly, we have recorded in your response to us that you raised concerns regarding safeguarding land for the new rapid transit options. I would be grateful if you would confirm whether you consider Uttlesford have failed to cooperate with you under the 2011 Act. And the response from East Hearts is similarly phrased. It's in relation to the new rapid transit options. You were given a date of February this year for that. I would bring you to the fact that you have a statement submitted to these hearing sessions specifically in relation to this matter too, duty to cooperate, by East Hertfordshire. They do not say all is well. They continue to raise a number of matters. If East Hertfordshire really did believe that Uttlesford had done everything it needed to do, then East Hertfordshire wouldn't have submitted a matter two statement. As you know, the duty to cooperate requires that authorities engage constructively, actively and on an ongoing basis. In Uttlesford's duty to cooperate statement 203.1 or 203.1, the matter that I'm referring to is dealt with at paragraphs 3.14 to 3.16. Specifically, it's in relation to East, Harf East Hertfordshire's ongoing contention that a certain site on the edge of Bishop Stortford should be released from the Greenbelt for employment purposes. But it is the duty to cooperate point that I'm going to talk to now. East Hertford, uh, sorry, Uttlesford's statement says, and he explains, sorry, that East Hertfordshire objected to the plan at Regulation 18 stage and sought the identification of this site for employment purposes. It explains that the two authorities met and that Uttlesford explained to East Hertfordshire that the Greenbelt assessment, which we'll come on to later in this process, did not identify suitable land for release. We submitted representations as well on this point, and our view on the Greenbelt assessment um, that was undertaken by Uttlesford is, is known to both Uttlesford and East Hertfordshire, and I'm not going to go into that now. East Hertfordshire then continued to object to the plan at Regulation 19 state stage, knowing what Uttlesford had told them earlier on. The statement then says that the two authorities met to discuss the local plans, their respective local plans, 
and it seems to attempt to close down this matter by saying no specific request to release the site was made. We don't know how wide the scope of that meeting was or how long it was or how detailed it was. But it appears that Uttlesford are attempting to say that the matter has gone away because East Hertfordshire didn't raise it. I would ask, did Uttlesford raise it? We now have, in May, continuing objection from East Hertfordshire on the basis that the site should be allocated for employment purposes. The whole point of this is that the greenbelt around Bishop Stortford is constraining the employment growth of Bishop Stortford. As the gentleman next to me quite rightly pointed out, the largest town very close to Stansted Airport. And East Hertfordshire continue to maintain their position. It's clear that East Hertfordshire are still advocating the release of the site and that the duty to cooperate point has not been resolved. I understand there is no duty to agree, but the point seems to have been left hanging. Coming back to what I said in opening, the duty to cooperate requires the authorities to engage constructively, actively and in an ongoing basis. I don't dispute there has been discussion on this point, but it does seem to have been left unresolved without any constructive or active attempt to resolve the matter to determine why the site couldn't be allocated or could it be allocated to assess the, what the Greenbelt assessment says about it in more detail and to address the fact that East Hertfordshire continue to maintain that the site should be identified for employment purposes. In closing, I'd say that they've not only continued to maintain that, but they've continued to maintain that specifically as a duty to cooperate point, not just in relation to the employment policies. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, can I ask the council to respond, particularly um, in the context of the email referred to from East Hart? Thank you. Um, so, yes, in relation to the email, um, yes, oh, so. Yes, I'll start off by reading our email to um, uh, East Hertfordshire uh, in full, um, as uh, the, the second paragraph in it was, was omitted from, uh, from the gentleman's statement. Um, as I said in full, I will read it in full. Uh, Dear Claire and Jenny, thanks for the quick chat this morning, Claire. In the inspector's initial questions, you ask us, the questions to us, they ask, have any significant concerns been expressed by interested parties about whether the council has complied with the duty to cooperate in the preparation of the plan? That, that's the, the key bit that was submitted. And then um, uh, the, the following paragraphs uh, were summarised. I won't read it full. Um, but the, the key point there is that, that second paragraph in, in our email. Uh, Claire's response to us uh, was then that. Um, East Hartshire does not consider that the District Council has failed. Can you speak up, please? We can't hear. Apologies. Is that better? No. no. I don't think that the microphone's not working very well. It's, it doesn't sound very well. Oh.
it help if you just turned turned a little bit on your side? So that, and I think it's maybe because you've got your back to people as well. I, I can shout to this woman. So oh, that's right, yes. You can borrow ours. If yeah. I'm going to say, why wouldn't I ours be dead there? Ours must be a super. <laughs> Let's try that. <laughs> Pass the mic. Um, thank you. Um, oh, that's working. Yes, I've, I've got the inspector's mic. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll go right from the start, well, but uh, a little bit quicker. Um, the second paragraph in our email to East Hertfordshire. Um, is, is something that's worth drawing your attention to in that it, it sets out uh, your initial question to us clearly and I will repeat that now. Have, have any significant concerns been expressed by interested parties about whether the Council has complied with the duty to cooperate in the preparation of the plan? Our email in response to uh, that to East Hertfordshire no, from East Hertfordshire, apologies um, the first sentence in the second paragraph there clearly states, whilst East Hertfordshire does not consider that Uttlesford District Council has failed as such to cooperate under the 2011 Act as set, out in our, as set out in our Regulation 19 response, we would welcome the opportunity to discuss with you the requirement to safeguard land between the airport and new existing communities. Uh, yes, so the point is that East Hertfordshire are clear that we have not, that the the duty to cooperate has been complied with. Sorry, sorry. While, while we've got a chance to, to speak, if you look at the matter two statement which Mr Dixon uh, referred you to from East Hertfordshire Council, and noting of course that East Hertfordshire uh, have not um, decided to attend this session to argue that there's been a breach of the duty to cooperate, when you look at the three paragraphs that they set out, under matter two questions, they're actually consistent with the email, which is to say what they are raising is a concern about the soundness of the approach to employment provision and greenbelt issues and so on, which is a merits point. What they conspicuously do not say in any of those three paragraphs is they believe that there's been a failure of the duty to cooperate. But what they do actually say in the second paragraph, middle of that paragraph, they say EHC has worked closely with Uttlesford District Council and the other strategic housing market authorities in preparing joint evidence on employment needs. So whilst they might not agree what the outcomes are, I don't think you can say that there's any evidence coming from East Hertfordshire Council that they believe there's been non-cooperation in terms of compliance with the DTC. like to speak again is that why you're or you're welcome to I can take a brief yeah you don't I'll just put your microphone back on or one of 
Oh, is that working? Brilliant. Right, we have two that work. Um, just very briefly, um, Mr. Bedford and I have slightly different takes on how to read sentences and paragraphs and clearly you're at your liberty to go away and decide which is the most important paragraph in a very short email. I would suggest it's the third one, the council suggests it's the second one. Um, I mentioned earlier that I accept there is not a duty to agree and that the council had active in an ongoing, uh, at, on an ongoing basis engaged with East Hertfordshire. However, my point was that there is an unresolved duty to cooperate point here that has been left hanging. Whilst Mr Bedford understandably makes the point that Uttlesford, uh, East Hearts have not specifically said that the Council has failed in its duty to cooperate, I would point to the fact that the East Hertfordshire Council has submitted a statement on the point of duty to cooperate, not just employment policy. I think we have two different opinions there and we'll have to leave it at this time in the evening for you to go away and reread all of the material on your own. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> okay, so still on question 14, all the employment... Mr Berard, do you want to turn your microphone off? I would have I'll come to Mr Powney. Yours is up to speak, is it? Yes. Excellent. I'll be very brief. Uh, my, my point is in, um, <clears throat> in relation to Inspector's question 12. Thank you. Uh, which is what are the interrelationships with other authorities in terms of economic activity, travel to work, and what I'm most interested in, and the market for employment, land and premises. Um, <clears throat> and this relates to our matter 2 submission. Well, we think the MPPF 2018, which this plan is submitted against, is very clear in paragraph 31 and 122 that the evidence base needs to have regard to market signals. Now, <clears throat> um, the Council's response uh, refers to the... Um, I've just lost it momentarily... Um, the Hardesty, Jones, West Essex and East Hartford assessment of employment needs. And yes, there is a methodological approach which is outlined in this document across all boroughs in the FEMA, which we're not questioning the FEMA boundary, but it seems to stop at that methodological approach and what it doesn't do is then contextualise that in terms of market realities. And I think today where I'm continually being concerned is where... Things like strategic employment sites, and they are strategic employment sites, adjacent to the M11, <clears throat> and Stansted Airport are of regional demand significance. They are very different to employment provision that will be in garden communities where the garden community policies, policies are talking about local employment to try and achieve higher levels of containment. So these are providing floor space to meet the new labour supply that's going to come forward in these areas. They will not address current under-provision of appropriate sites to meet strategic employment needs for things like industrial and warehouse, where, as I've said numerous times today, there's effectively no floor space available. So I keep coming back to this point, the market signals and I'm not getting from the councils an understanding of 
the employment markets and how they are very different and things like strategic requirements for employment for warehousing and industrial need to be on motorways and what puts the the A120 M11 junction to the next level of being regionally significant is not just the M11, it's adjacency to Stansted Airport. Okay, thank you. So I'm conscious it, we're still talking about the duty to cooperate. Um, and question 12, that, one, that comment was related to, which is about interrelationships with other authorities in terms of economic activity, and in particular the market signals is what's been raised. Have you got a response? On that. Um, I mean, I'd mainly refer to the, the hearing statement and the, the evidence base that, that supports it. Um, we've in, engaged in the, the board that has developed the MOU for, for, for housing has similarly developed one for employment. We've engaged with the other partners across the, the FEMA area in the development of the local plan and in, in the same um, format with that officer meeting and, and member meeting across across the FEMA area, um, we consider we've, we've engaged proactively and on an ongoing basis and, and, and all that stuff through that um, process. Okay, thank you. So unless there's anything else, I think has everybody said what they needed to on, that, on those particular questions? Okay, thank you. Are there any other matters on duty to cooperate before we move on? No. no. And then I think we can move straight to matter three, can we? Yeah, and um, I think we've got less people to speak for this now, but there's only, did you say there was two? Yeah. So, three. Three, yes. So I think it's. So we've got the House Builders Federation, which is Mr. Barron. We are residents, which is Mr. Gad, and Saffron Walden Town Council, which I can't remember. It's like a memory game. Oh right, I lost the will. <laughs> um, so we'll just wait for everybody. If people want to go now, that's fine, and we can. Um, we'll do. We'll just deal with this last little bit, which I don't think will take too long, but. Uh, are you happy still sat there, Mr. Garson? Rather move all your papers. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to see if I can if I can just tie it. Yeah. Try. The microphone's down. You always have this problem today. Comedy, isn't it? Start to, uh, die. Mm. 
few hardcore remainers. <laughs> okay then, so matter three is the um, presumption in favour of sustainability and we've got policies SP1 and SP11. So the, the context really to that one is S, policy SP1 describes the presumption in favour of sustainability as described in the 2012 framework and policy SP12 sets out a number of sustainable development principles that are intended to guide development to reduce carbon emissions and address the impacts of climate change. The first question we've got under the MIQs and on the agenda is, is it necessary for the plan to include policy SP1 or does it just replicate paragraph 14 of the framework? So I can see from the Council's statement that you're now proposing a main modification in response to the representations on that matter. Do you want to just run us through what that is? Thank you, ma'am. Um, yes, so this uh, policy was included in the, um, in the draft plan following uh, the way it appeared to be going in, in previous versions. So local, local planning authorities had been recommended to include this policy. Um, following further consideration uh, after the representations and looking at what appears to be emerging as best practice for other local authorities, we are proposing to delete it as it does simply replicate uh, national policy. Okay. Can I just ask those that are interested whether that addresses their concerns? It's, it's an issue we've, we've come across in other plans and, and the same position has been taken. I think Chelmsford was, uh, was, was the case in point and I think the inspector initially said it should conclude way back in 2012 and then it, I think it just lapsed in terms of uh, uh, taking it forward. Yeah, I was going to speak to ask for it to be deleted, so I'm happy with that. Fine. Okay. Thank you. So the second question was, should policy SB12 include criteria related to climate change and renewable energy, historic heritage and the natural environment? Again, I can see from your statement you propose a main mod modification on that. Um, can you outline your position on that one as well for us, please? Yeah. Just turning to them. Yeah. They're not in numerical order. No, they're in chronological order. <laughs> uh -huh. Here we go. So um, this is in uh, ED11, the uh, schedule of draft main modifications, dated 30th of May. If you turn to the second page of modifications within there, you can see uh, MM311 and then uh, 312 and 13 on the, on the following page. Um, we have suggested including, um, uh, following representation from Essex County Council, we've suggested including a um, reference to green infrastructure within this policy. Um, this is a um, something they recommended following um, uh, from similar policy guidance in, in other local plans. I think they mentioned Chelmsford as, as well. Um, Twelve is a amendment to the um, reference to the historic environment, and this is following uh, representation from Historic England and. Uh, Modification 313 is uh, in response to Natural England and includes um, enhancing the natural environment and delivering a net biodiversity gain. 
So these are, are, are three modifications to this policy to respond to representations from uh, people. Yeah. Okay. Can I ask you for your response then on, on those? Yes, thanks very much. I think we're happy with the ones proposed to be included. What we've still got a concern is that the first one talks about green, using green infrastructure as a way of adapting and mitigating for climate change. What it doesn't do is address um, the effect of climate change through, particularly through um, carbon emissions from transport, was the issue we had as well. So I think we had, we had about four issues, three of which were addressed through these proposed modifications, and thanks for those. We'd like also, ideally, to address um, the effects of climate change through transport as well. I think that was the Town Council's point as well, wasn't it? It was, yeah, which yeah. is partly why they... Okay. Um, they've gone. Can I ask the, the Council's response on that then? Was there any reason that that particular request wasn't included or was it not possible or...? I don't think there was any particular reason. I think we were, we were um, uh, focusing our uh, amends on uh, statutory consultees, but I don't see why, if appropriate wording was suggested, we would, we would object to, to it being put in the plan. Okay. So consider that and come up with some follow words. Happy to follow that up with, uh, with Mr. Gadd. I think that's Gadd. always the best. No, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So that, that concludes everything I've got on um, matter three, unless anybody else had anything. No? Great. Yep. <laughs> thank you. I don't, I'm not sure, can we leave things in the room tonight? If anybody wants to, obviously not valuable things, but... Not, no, so it makes sense. Not that examination documents are not valuable, but um, yeah. <laughs> I meant things like laptops and things. But uh, yeah, take, those, take laptops and things. No, I, I don't think the room will be locked, so I wouldn't leave anything no, too but, valuable. No, um, I don't think anybody wants to steal local plan examination documents. <laughs> no. Okay, so we'll see some of you, maybe all of you, tomorrow. Um, 10 o'clock start again. So thank you everyone for your contributions today. Those of you that are left and we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks. <laughs>